Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 14th of February, Year of Our Lord 2020. Happy Valentine's Day to those that do celebrate Valentine's Day. Yeah, I got a Valentine's Day on the backside where I ruined Valentine's Day forever. And uh, yeah, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. Something we don't do. So today we're going to have a violent left segment. The media's new spin that they're moderates. They're all moderates. Everybody's a moderate. While they do quite the meltdown over their own candidates. And I say their own because they're they're liberals. They, they are part of the Democratic National Committee. Then uh, we're going to go into our new social media nuggets. Going to try to keep the show under three hours today. So to do that, I'm going to talk less about bullshit and get right into the show. So... Up front, I wanted to cover a couple things we didn't talk about last podcast, or we did talk about, so we're kind of closing the loop on them. We used to call it uh, Fire for Effect, but uh, we don't do it that much anymore. Uh, Oscar viewership, 23.6, down 20%. It's not doing good, but that's still quite a few people, so I see a lot of conservatives going, oh, the Oscars, nobody won. That's 23 million people. That's quite a few people, actually. So I guess people do tune in. You know, I didn't, but, you know. There are people out there. And then the best picture was Parasite. And for those who have been with the show a long time, I literally uh, spent two and a half years of my life in Korea, South Korea. And um, I have affinity for the Korean culture. I uh, love the country and love the cuisine. Uh, we make our own bagogi, yada, yada, yada. So... I did rent that, and if you you know if you can get over subtext, you know you got to read it or subtitle. Um, it is a really good movie. I admit, I was kind of blown away. Um, it's kind of a dark comedy horror mystery. It's not really horror. I don't know what to fucking classify it. I think that's why it won. Um, for those that aren't old enough, there's a guy named Beck, and he came out with an album called Odelay, and nobody could classify what the hell that album was. I bought it. It's a great album. I still listen to it. On that album is about every genre you can think of a food, uh, of food, of uh, music, except for country. And there is some toying in there. He does have a few country sounds that do go in there. Um, so I think that's why it won, and this is why Parasite won Best Picture. It, it is, it's hard to classify. It's a dark comedy, but it's also kind of horrific. Um, and it's it's got some social commentary, which is probably more well-placed than the bullshit we get in America. Um, the difference between poor and rich in America is a wide berth, yes. But compared to third world countries and countries like Korea, where the slums are slummy in any trailer park, um, their safety net ain't like ours. So, not that I'm you know, wanting to shit on people that are downtrodden. That's not what I'm saying. But our safety net's pretty good. 
Uh, people live in houses with heat and stuff. And I know there's people that don't, but I mean, compared to what a normal person in Korea lives, which is a single room with a kitchen and a bathroom and everybody sleeps on the floor in the living room because it's made out of foam, um, they don't have carpet. Yeah, we got it pretty good. So it's a social com- commentary on that. So that is... Uh, what we got. So, let's get on in uh, to our violent left, and we're going to start with a m- media soundbite, which seems like I'm justifying Trump's they are the enemy, but uh, they are not objective journalists, okay? So, he's on to something. I would never say enemy, but I would say that they're fuckheads. So, they, uh, as I said to CNN, when you see an article we'll read about in here, uh, have as much culpability in the division in our country as politicians do because they thrive on it. And one of them let Keith Oberman put his penis in her. And ever since then, she is a fucking horrible human being. And she got gotcha And that's how we'll start our violent left. Bullies don't win. Morally. Um, Bernie is going to tell us how he really feels about Donald Trump at a later point in time. Katie Turr, even from Bernie Sanders, a surprisingly harsh anti-Trump closer uh, here for the New Hampshire voters. Katie. Um, well, it depends. I mean, there are New Hampshire voter here, voters here who are, are really excited about Bernie Sanders, and, and they think that he's not divisive, and that they think that he's got good ideas, and they and they believe he's somebody who can accomplish those ideas. Or the diehard Bernie supporters. He won this state in 2016, but then there are those that look at him and say, "I'm just not so sure about him. He kind mm-hmm. of scares me. Those ideas are too big. I don't see how he can get them done with this." Uh, Congress that we have, especially if the the Republicans still control the Senate, they don't see it as plausible. But I want to talk to look, we have a voter out here, Hi. sir. You're going you were watching, so you're going to be on television now. Can you tell us who you voted for? <laughs> Donald John Trump. You voted for Donald John Trump. Yeah. Look at that. He, Bernie he, Sanders is not appealing to you. The whole ideology ideology would be destructive to the country. It's anti-growth. It's anti-family, it's anti-American, and as a Roman Catholic, it's anti-life. Sir, thank you so much for telling us who you voted for. We appreciate it. Let's ask these other folks over here. They don't see it as plausible, but I want to talk to... Let's, we have a voter out here. Sir, you're gonna, you were watching, so you're going to be on television now. Can you tell us who you voted for? <laughs> Donald John Trump. You voted for Donald John Trump? Yeah. Look at that. Can Bernie you- Sanders is not appealing to you? The whole ideology, ideology would be destructive to the country. It's anti-growth. It's anti-family. It's anti-American. And as a Roman Catholic, it's anti-life. Yeah, there's an old saying that's, I guess lawyers say it. I don't know. I saw it on Jag. You never ask a question you know the answer about. And journalism is the opposite. 
you never know, answer a question or ask a question that you don't know what the person's going to say. This is a key moment in, in media history that you get to see that they're biased as fuck because they make sure they're asking questions of liberals to push their narrative. And this is one time Katie Tour fucked up. She just assumed everybody around a primary up there has got to be a Democrat like her. And he looked like a Democrat. He looked like a good guy. Not a horrible Trump person. And that just was gold. This is Liz Wheeler. This is amazing. Kater's face is hilarious. Not what the MSM was expecting. Chad Johnson. What makes it even better is that he was quite apparently the only guy they're watching. The only person there is an onlooker. So they reach out to interview him and he's a Trump guy. Hilarious. You win the day, fella. Boy, did she walk into that. And these are all just random people. That's what happens when they actually choose random people and pose to their plants. Probably don't at, won't ask him again. Now his entire family will be doxxed by MSNBC or CNN. Yeah. yeah. The silent majority. Did you see the smirk on her face? Katie Turr, a.k.a. the AOC of MSDNC, is very concerned about all the people taking out a 30-year auto loan in Trump's economy. And this is a winner, winner, chicken dinner. I did not know she said this. It was planted on this thread, and it sounds a little something like this impact us and our families, our community, and that, that jobs matter. When I ask uh, people if they're voting for Donald Trump, uh, I hear for, about the 401ks a lot. That's a number I hear. 401k, 401k, my 401k is doing great. Um, but there are those out there who don't have a 401k, and there are those out there who this economy is not really working for. They might have a job, but it's not a job that pays their bills. They can get a car, but it's a loan that'll last them 30 years. They can't buy a house. The economy's not working in a way that makes their lives function properly. Well, you're, you're spinning that message in a state with the lowest poverty rate in the country. We've made it lower. One of the lowest unemployment rates. We have more jobs and families moving into New Hampshire than ever before, more working people than ever before. There's always, the, the, the job of government isn't to create some big system that's so um what is the what's the resolution to that is is gerrymandering something that would help um improve the situation is how does how does that sort of divide promote consensus in the senate or even in the house well i mean they're, they're the only resolution gerrymanders not going to do anything because in the senate we're talking about states right yeah. so you can't gerrymander states the only solution is for democrats to appeal to voters in those states right see that's how out of touch from reality these people are you can't take a 30-year fucking car loan. What the fuck, man? The longest I've ever seen was eight years. Eight. Most of them are seven. The majority are six. But she literally said that. And I preface it and I put it in here because this is our media. This is how our media acts and talks. And they get people so fucking angry that we have all these attacks. Because Trump's fucking people with 30-year fucking car loans that don't even exist. But these moonbat liberals, they don't know it. they don't exist. They believe whatever the fuck CNN and MSNBC says. And then you have the persistence out in California cleaning, and this is what he gets. 
Why are illegal immigrants more important than Americans? I'd like to hear an answer. Why are people illegal? Why are illegal immigrants more important than homeless people sleeping on the streets? Why do we in the great one of the biggest economies here in California take care of illegal immigrants but our people are sleeping on the streets? I'd like to hear an answer to that. Why? Nobody can ever answer It'll that question. Why don't people put American citizens first, but illegal immigrants get everything? And I hope you post this. I want this to go viral because I give a damn and I care about my community. My dad is a retired Navy captain. He served our country honorably. My grandfather is a retired Navy captain, and I'm doing my part to help our country because I give a damn and I'm going to fight for it. And I am 100% voting for Donald Trump on Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. The Democrat Party does not put our people first. They put sanctuary cities first. They put illegal aliens first. They tax us. They tax our water. You can't even do laundry and shower on the same day. While Nancy Pelosi is getting hundreds of thousands of dollars, robbing our pockets, not doing anything for our people, not passing legislation, passing out pens like they're candy. Meanwhile, President Trump is signing United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, and he's signing trade deals, and he's cutting our taxes, and he's securing the border, and he's putting our veterans first. I am proud of President Trump, and I am voting for him because he's putting the American people first. Period. I'm afraid that did, did that answer your question. You. Thank you. Thank you. 2020. Register to vote and vote. Thank you. His tweet. I was cleaning up the streets of San Francisco, and this young woman became very aggressive. I don't know what came over me, but I proclaim, proclaim my support of Trump on the dirty streets of San Francisco, and people listened. He was getting attacked because they're told he's a bad person. And then you have Donald Trump Jr. So it left us, and once again, I don't like carrying Donald Trump Jr. tweets, but this is the only way you're going to find this, because nobody's covering any of the attacks, as we'll get to in reference to the last one we just covered. So a leftist attacks three Trump supporters, including a 15-year-old child in New Hampshire this week. Last week, a deranged leftist attempted to run over a group of Trump supporters with a car in Florida. What will it take the MSN to finally call out left-wing violence? From uh, Brooks Singman, the Windman Police Department said Patrick Bradley, 34, Windman was charged with simple assault and disorderly conduct. Fox News has learned that the suspect got in the face of a teenage boy who was wearing a red Make America Great hat and volunteering at a Trump tent in Wyndham High School, a polling location from New Hampshire primary. Police said the incident happened Tuesday as Bradley exchanged a voting location inside the high school and was walking by a Trump campaign tent occupied several by several supporters. As he passed the tent, police said Bradley slapped a 15-year-old kid in the face, then assaulted two adults who attempted to intercede. Bradley is also accused of throwing Trump campaign signs and attempting to knock over campaign tent. It turns out the 15-year-old and his family had posed for a picture with Donald Trump Jr., and Trump tracked down the boy and called him. So it turns out I actually met the 15-year-old victim shortly before he was attacked by a sick leftist. I asked an aide to find his number and just got off the phone with him and his mother. I thank them for being such strong supporters. My family has your back, Nate. A tweet from a normal American. The stunning sad part, 
the tacit acceptance Trump haters have for this type of violence, even sadder, the large amount of Trump haters who will deny it to your face, but are 100% okay with Trump supporters being attacked violently. The saddest of all, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's true. These people, and through this whole thing, I'm going to keep interjecting news reports. They they get it all riled up. They get it from the, CNN. Trump and Pelosi, time to turn the other cheek. That's an article. Pushing it. Pushing. Oh, you know, they need to turn the other cheek. It, Trump needs to be nice, and he needs to say he's sorry. What don't you understand? Pelosi's only in the boat she's in now. Trump's only in the boat she's he's in now because of you, media. All you cover is the division, and then you multiply it, and you stick your foot in it. Then you get a crowbar, and you widen that motherfucker out. And you wonder why ratings come in. Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Ingram Angle, Dana Perino, Gutfeld, Jesse Waters, Juan Williams, Katie Pavlich, then Maddow, Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, Shannon Bream, Ansley Earhart, Kilmeade, Steve Ducey, Sanders Smith Fox, and Ed Henry. What did I just read? Those are all the top ten media. And guess where they all come from, Fox. And you wonder why. Because people, hey, listen. They're sick of it. They're going to get other information. They don't get any information. They just get fodder and told what to think and what to eat and how to what to believe. And then constantly, when it has nothing to do with anything... This is one of the New Hampshire fucking reports. And don't worry, I have a whole climate section today. It's some good shit. They, they, they're worried about North Korea. I, I shit you fucking not. This was a New Hampshire report. On a winter day in New Hampshire, there aren't too many places to go looking for voters. But over an ice fishing hole in Concord is one of them. How many maggots do you put on the hook to I'm catch gonna, a fish? I'm going to put three on right now. And that's where we met Dennis Witcher and Tim Moore. You're a hunting guy primarily, you're a fishing guy. Mm-hmm. You're a Republican, you're a Democrat. Healthcare is one of your top issues. Yeah, I'm self-employed, so it's expensive. It's very expensive. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders seem to have Medicare for all mm-hmm. plans, right? Yep. Free at the point of service. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty good, no? Well, how are we going to pay for it? Another major campaign topic felt unavoidable. This is 40 degrees, I've got my coat open, but it's not supposed to be this hot. No, no, it's it's global warming. Well, I you climate say that with a smile, what do you yeah. think? You don't really believe it, it's do you? It's a joke. you got to be kidding me. Tim, are you with Dennis on that point? No. <laughs> I didn't think, think so. <laughs> so your biggest issues are, in order, political polarization. Healthcare. Healthcare. Mm, healthcare and climate. I mean. You mean the hoax that your friend here says uh, is not affecting your business? Not- I've got something very special to share with you guys today. We've got voters moving behind us, and you've heard, we've reported on our show, about the soon-to-be former Republicans that Mayor Pete Buttigieg claims to be recruiting, and we have one here. This is Jay. Hello. College Republican, registered Republican, and just now, today, right there, you voted for Mayor Pete. That's Why? Right. So, got a lot of love for Pete. He has a lot of composure that I don't think, um, I think a lot of the candidates don't exude well. He does a singularly... Uh, really strongly. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, why don't they have your attention? 
Well, uh, you live in New Hampshire long enough, uh, you understand there's a cultural difference between Vermont and Massachusetts, certainly. Um, I like both of them. I think Elizabeth is a, a firebrand. She's a real great banner holder for the for the party, but is almost too progressive for the too folks. Too progressive, <laughs> even for a young man like yourself. You like the composed man. Okay, well, thank you very much. They constantly are telling you the world is going to end. But of course they're going to do that because I have a whole section on this new social media nuggets and our everything is racist. Because they don't want to play this. People have different feelings about this issue, obviously. I've talked to former police officers in New York who say that they got so many guns off the street in that program and that it, it was helpful in terms of crime in the city. But this, you know, Democrats who are looking for a way to go after Mike Bloomberg, they're going to use this extensively. The other big thing against him is, is that he's Mike Bloomberg, that he has, you know, $50 billion. Bernie Sanders is going to hammer that over and over and over again. But, you know, he won in Dixville Notch in the earliest race that right. we get results from. Uh, meaningful, not necessarily, but interesting. Uh, and he, I, I, the, the Nevada debate is going to be a very big moment for him. And yeah. nobody has seen him get up on stage and talk. I mean, if you're from New York, you have. But people across the country, I talked to a bunch of people up here who said, um, yeah, I've never really heard him say anything. Here's, so, here's the thing. That's what they found, that a lot of people did not know who he was. They couldn't believe it. The other thing is, he's going to be in the debate, but not on the caucus, right? So he, you right. can't vote for him in the caucus, but he'll be part of the debate. Yeah, it's sort of, it's like a debut. He's yeah. coming out. We'll still be able to hear <laughs> so from to him. So to speak. Yeah. All right. We did reach out to his campaign, and we haven't heard, heard back. We're still waiting for a response. Oh, we got more on him. I mean, there's the leak on Stop and Frisk. There's a leak on fucking what he thinks of transgenders. There's a leak on women. I mean, that motherfucker's a piece of shit, but the media, they're so scared that Trump's going to win, they don't want to hurt anybody. But you know this would be 47%. You know it. It would be 47%. They are so... Fucking scared of that. The Krasistein brothers. Do you all realize the hashtag Bloomberg is racist or Mayor Cheat started trending around 2 to 5 a.m.? Yes, that's 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Moscow. Stop falling for this crap. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what we, that's what we cover. That's what we're going to go with. Because we can't go with people actually getting attacked in the streets. And one of the major Democrats is a fucking racist and says shit that would make a Republican have to drop out of the race. No. No, we blame Russia. Everything's Russia. Or just the same old Trump stuff. Because while we got attacks, while we got fucking Bloomberg being found to be a racist fucking piece of shit to your standards, Libs. That's your standards. This is what the media was covering. I woke up this morning. It was the first thing about Barr's comment. They're trying to start impeachment, too. Have you ever seen anything? You spent how many years in the FBI? 21 years. Or 21 years in the FBI. Have you ever seen a president attack a federal judge, for example, or go after prosecutors, federal <clears throat> prosecutors along these lines? I want to play another clip. The president attacked you personally, not the first time. Once again today, listen to this. You look at what happened, how many people were hurt, their lives were destroyed, and nothing happened with all the people that did it and launched a scam. Where's Comey? Why, where is Comey? What's happening to McCabe? 
So when you hear that from the President of the United States, what goes through your mind? Well, first of all, it's, it's disgusting and shocking. As many times as it happens, you never really get over that. But I think it's important to take it out of the context of just me and understand that here again you have the President casting aspersions and conclusions about people who have never even been charged with a crime, myself, Jim Comey, anyone else uh, uh, from that group that we worked with at the FBI, he routinely refers to people as corrupt and having committed crimes when that could not be further from the truth. And again, Wolf, I think he does this because he's trying to plant that thought in people's minds. If he says it enough times, he thinks. But I'm not sure that most of America knows about what changed in New Hampshire for college uh, voters this July, and that is a law that essentially makes them prove not just domicile, but residency, go get a new driver's license, etc. I, I understand there's a challenge to that in court, but it's in effect today, right? I mean, help us understand what it actually means for turnout. Absolutely. So this law is currently in effect. However, the implementation of it has been very mixed and very confusing. In fact, the New Hampshire College Democrats sent a petition to Secretary of State Bill Gardner asking him to clarify exactly what this means for us. Many college students don't have a New Hampshire driver's license. Many of us don't have a car. It would be very difficult for us to get to the nearest DMV. Mm -hmm. And the town clerks have sort of been going based on that interpretation, which is that students can vote as they regularly would. So it's been very confusing, but yeah. The messaging so far has been that students are allowed to vote in New Hampshire. Not only can they, they should vote here. Listen, okay. voter access legislation is a national issue now, pushed in many places by Republican lawmakers to deliberately restrict the vote. Davis, from your perspective, as a young person in this country, I imagine excited to vote in your first election. Are you, your group, other students concerned that this is a deliberate attempt to, 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 to tamp down voting by college-age students? Yeah, we absolutely are. Uh, the laws in the first place are an issue, um, but since we don't even know how they're being enforced and many facets of the government don't even know how they're going to enforce it, uh, it really seems like it's a disinformation campaign, um, making it seem like college students should just stay home and sit this election out. Um, mm -hmm. So it's an issue, but we're trying to combat it. President Trump is testing the independence of the Justice Department, thanking his attorney general for taking charge of the case of his longtime friend Roger Stone in an attempt to keep him out of jail. It's a highly unusual move for the president of the United States to lash out at a career Justice Department lawyers involved in such a case. Stone, who first urged Trump to run for president more than 30 years ago, was convicted by a jury in November on seven federal charges. But late today, the president claimed Stone was treated horribly. The president's attacks appear to be part of a larger post-impeachment surge. The Justice Department insists there was no coordination with the White House. But this morning, the president congratulated Barr for his involvement. Attorney General William Barr ought to be ashamed and embarrassed and resign. Democrats charged Barr with enabling an abuse of power. I have formally requested that the inspector general of the Justice Department investigate this matter immediately. President Trump tonight seething, insisting he did not interfere in the criminal prosecution of his longtime ally, Roger Stone. Isn't your tweet political interference? No, not at all. Democrats have now called Attorney General William Barr to testify about the president's influence over the Justice Department. And you learned tonight that Barr has accepted? 
Uh, yes, and look, you know, both Democrats, both well, I'm sorry, both the White House and the Justice Department have said that the president had absolutely no involvement in this decision to overrule prosecutors in the Stone case, even though it came within hours of the president's tweet. But this will be a very contentious hearing, David. Uh, after all, there are questions now raised about the politicization of the Justice Department and the independence of the attorney. We, our, our constitutional republic, literally... And the institutions in it literally are being challenged every single day by this would-be dictator. I mean, I say that sounds tough, doesn't it? You tell That's me. That's the word I you was tell me. use. Does Donald Trump, would Donald Trump not do whatever he could do if he could get away with it? Seriously, if he could arrest every journalist he didn't like, if he could arrest us tomorrow, let me ask you a question. Do you think he would arrest us tomorrow? Do you think he would arrest the editor uh, of the New York Times, the editor of the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos. Do you think he'd arrest him tomorrow and throw him in jail to silence him? Like Do you think he? Because if you say he wouldn't, you're just. It, it's, it's just fucking. Oh my God, cracks me up. So here are some of the residuals that came out about the van attack. You'll notice the same thing. It has nothing to do with CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC. No, they're they're not covering it. But we need things to calm down, not ramp up, especially at a time where the economy is doing so well for so many people. You can debate the policies, have a vigorous debate. You can be angry at Trump for anything you want. That's fine. That's the process. But what's happening here with a, with a van plowing through a tent, I, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it, that this was just, I mean, we don't know what motivated this guy, but with all the hate and rage all over social media 24-7, constantly, it's it's a miracle if it wasn't part of someone's thinking at this point who was already unstable, obviously. Laura, it was clearly a partisan motivated attack. It uh, the guy pulled up. I mean, it was a plainly marked event. You could not mistake what was happening. There were Trump signs everywhere. They were obviously Republicans. There was a big bright red tent. The guy pulls up. He gets out his cell phone. He first gives them an obscene gesture, mm. and then he accelerates toward them as he's videotaping it. Our elderly volunteers barely get out of the way. He plows through the location, upending everything, and then... And then he backs up and he videotapes it again. He was proud of his work. Now, that is a partisan attack. What else can you call it? You would have to believe that he had some blinding hatred of chairs, tents, and tables right. to believe anything otherwise. Well, Dean, we wanted, to get, we wanted to get some of the volunteers on. We talked to, we reached out, we talked to a couple. They're traumatized. These people are traumatized by what happened. And again, if the shoe were on the other foot, if this had happened to a Democrat, polling uh, or registration table, this would have led to every broadcast. The man who rammed his van into a Republican Party voter registration tent Saturday in Florida told deputies he does not like President Trump and, quote, someone had to take a stand. Police say 27-year-old Gregory Tim recorded the attack on his cell phone. No one was injured. Tim is being held on a half-million dollars bond. The Duval County, Florida Republican Party calls the incident an obvious assault motivated by blind rage toward President Trump. They don't want to talk about anything substantive because they can't. Economy's doing good. People are getting jobs. But this is not a good time for Dems 
to play that portion of the game. So they have to play the other game that he's not presidential and Russian and he's breaking the law and he's a dictator and that's why we roll with it. I'm a highway. Journo Twitter weirdly quiet about this one no mandatory struggle session with the dangerous rhetoric with finger pointing at people who've been bold in this behavior. Stephen Miller going on a limb and suggestive a mega hat wearing yokel drove a van through a warrant at Sanders voters. We covered it last time. Gerald Byer, New York Times yet to run an article other than carry the AP story about it. Gary Finout brings us our first coverage. Republicans vow revenge at ballot box after volunteer nearly hit by van. And it comes from Politico. Florida and Duval County Republican leaders vow revenge at the ballot box after a man drove his van in a tent. Gerald Byer. Here's a great start to the headline for the guy tries to run over Republicans in Florida story. Republicans vow revenge. Just imagine if the headline was Democrats vow revenge at the ballot box after Trump supporter attempts to run over Democrats last at voter registration. It, it would never happen. Someone attempted murder some Republican volunteers. Politico spins this out again. Republicans? And this gives the game away. Not a supposed journalist at CNN, MSDNC, NBC, CBS, ABC, Washington Post, or New York Times are calling this out. Not one. They bury their heads and look away, knowing exactly what Politico is doing here. Jesus fucking Christ, the press hates you and wants you dead. And yes, they do. Yes, they do. Because right on the heels... Here's another one. Republican. Fuck Donald Trump! Four more Trump! Fuck Donald Trump! Hey, that's what your language is girl. That's not nice. <laughs> Four more Trump! That was a guy at an a outside event by one of the rallies, and that's what he got. He got harassed. Had to give them a manner a, a fucking class in manners. It's not not happening. It's just not. Here's another one. Snowflake. Walking up to somebody, putting their hands on them. So why, why, are you throwing your, why are you throwing your drinks out on people? I'm not throwing anything. Yeah, you did. I saw you. What were you saying? What were you saying? What was I saying? What were you saying right now? What were you saying? About what? About America first? Yeah, America right? first. Protect America, America first. Citizen, right? yeah. yeah, I'm a Native American, bitch. Yeah, yeah. me too. I was born Native in Dallas. American. Oh, you're Native, Native American. You're an American bitch. citizen, right? No, Native American. Are you an American citizen? Native American. Why are you so angry to me? Why are you so angry? Genocide, bitch. Why are you so angry? There's that no genocide. That fucking hat caused fucking genocide, There's no bitch. genocide. Genocide, bitch. There's no genocide. Yes, Why are you so angry? Bitch. No. Because it's a fucking genocide, bitch. It's a fucking genocide, bitch. Oh, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, yeah, you assaulted him. You assaulted him, dude. Get out of here. Get out of here. You assaulted him. Go that you way. That was from Benny. This is absolutely disturbing. More information is coming out about a targeted left-wing attack on Trump supporters over the weekend. Police said the attackers recorded it and shared his video with them. was upset because he stopped before the good part. That's about the van guy. The media is culpable all day. They tell their viewers that Trump is a dictator who's about to start locking up journalists. They unhinged, believe their speed, and some going on and act on it. 
The Bulwark's Charlie Syke is trying to downplay a man arrested for delivery ramming the van in Florida. Another Florida man story that will never make the mainstream media has surfaced. This time a Florida man was arrested after allegedly threatening a group of Trump supporters, what was described a cane sword. Dana Loesch, Florida man arrested for swinging his cane sword at Trump supporters. A 49-year-old Dun- Len Dunlin man accused of threatening multiple people favorable to Donald Trump was arrested and charged with 10 counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and one count of disorderly conduct by police. The victim told an officer that a man later identified as James L. Whitehurst II had approached them during their peaceful assembly with what was described as a cane sword in hand. The officer was told Whitehurst pointed the sword in their faces and made threatening statements. The words, the sword, was allegedly six inches from his face, according to victims, and they felt afraid. Whitehurst reportedly told responding officer that although he did remove the sword from his holder and pointed at the Trump supporters, he meant them no harm. Not a national news story. Zero coverage, folks. Zero! We don't cover this stuff. Because they're too busy trying to get rid of Bernie Sanders. So while we have a car attack, a cane sword attack, another attack, we have attack in Nashville we're about to talk about, this is Chuck Todd. I want to bring up something that um, Jonathan um, last put in the uh, bulwark today, and it was about how, and Ruth... We've all been on the on the receiving end of the, of the Bernie online brigade. And here's what he says. He says, no other candidate has anything like this sort of digital brown shirt brigade. I mean, except for Donald Trump. The question no one is asking is this. What if you can't win the presidency without an online mob? What if we now live in a world where having a bullying, agro-social media army running around, popping anyone who sticks their head up is either an important ingredient for or a critical market marker of success? Okay, wow. okay that's I know everybody's freaking out about this, but... You saw the MAGA rally that's preparing around here. There are people coming from three or four states on that. That's real. And, you know, that is, this is like burning. Yeah, we got to worry about those brown shirt Trump supporters. Oh, and Bernie, too. His brown shirts. But yet the Stokes play anti-cop song at Bernie rally with what just happened in New York. It's okay. Nobody cares. And then when we go back and we cover the stories about that, NYPD officer target assassination, AOC blames the NRA. AOC lashed out Republicans and National Rifle Association. According to the New York Times, a perpetrator shot two New York Police Department officers sitting in a van. Then he opened fire inside an NYPD precinct in the Bronx, which I actually had the video right last podcast. That's what it was. That was the guy. Thank God our officer lied, Blasio said. This is an attempt at assassination, blah, blah, blah. When asked to respond to the incident, AOC did not condemn the shooter, but instead said, this is not my district, but our thoughts are with all officers and people impacted by the shooting and the epidemic of gun violence in America. Perhaps you would get less mixed up and Mitch McConnell stood up to the NRA and passed common sense gun safety measures to reduce shootings. Yeah. That's what she said. It's the NRA's fault. People are unhinged on the left and they attack cops. In New York and, sadly, locally in Nashville. 
A man's surprise birthday gift leads to a surprise attack. A woman was offended by his red ball cap. The hat read, make 50 great again. And tonight, he wants to make his own statement, speaking only to News 4. Daniel Sprague was at the stage bar on Broadway, sporting gifts his wife gave him for his 50th birthday bash. People were just coming up to me and, you know, loving the little, uh, you know, wordplay on the hat and taking pictures and wishing me a happy birthday. The red cap with white letters reading, making 50 great again, was clearly too much for one woman at the bar. At one point, um, a female came up from behind me, spun me around and punched me in the face and then grabbed my hat off my head and was just yelling, how dare you? These photos show the damage done. I mean, she gave me a really nice little couch there. I would assume that she had, you know, a ring or she maybe even had a set of keys or something to get it because it is pretty deep and it goes to the bone. Sprague, a retired police officer from New York, filed a police report. He says someone needs to make a stand. This is wrong. We can't just go around as a society because somebody has a political opinion that you know, that doesn't match theirs. Sprague says the woman needs help. He'll press charges if they can find her. She has issues. I feel bad for her. His message to the woman? Happy birthday would have been nicer than a punch in the face. Well, Sprague says he hopes the woman will turn herself in. He says pressing charges might encourage her to get the help she needs. Yeah, yeah, that's, see how the media covered it? The help she needs, not, hey, this is pretty fucked up. This is pretty fucked up that we got people roaming the country, attacking people because they're wearing her red hat. This one's saying, make 50 great again. But here, here's a montage of just some of the recent hat ones of, if WSMV, which is the local NBC that did that report, needs a reminder. Don't touch her. That, she assaulted me. Hey! Oh yeah, I got it. Fine. She went ahead and kicked it. Huh? She she hit the police and kicked and uh, hit her, her dash cam off. Stay back. Hey, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. They just snatched my hat. I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, step back. Sorry. Step back I tried to stop her because she tried running and I just stopped her. It wasn't the person who's arrested right now. I'm, I'm fine. I appreciate it. I'm okay. I'm alright. Yeah, the one in the, in the gray. Hey, that's what it is. Hey. Step back. Step back. It's, uh, physical space. I mean, he came to. I mean, he came to me. I mean, I'm gonna stop. Oh. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Do you want to press charge on her for? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, then come with me. I'm fucking up. I wasn't talking to you. You don't have to do that. Okay. Not my privilege. I don't know. Why are you flat? Would that be okay? Oh. Take care of yourself. Oh, love you, you know what? 
time it's ever happened. It's okay, man. I'm fine. It's all good. They didn't they didn't physically touch me, but well, kind of. You know, actually. the first time I saw you wearing that hat was the day after uh, the Mueller report came out. Yeah, actually, no, I've had I've had this since yeah. the day after the midterm election. Not oh, really? Since. That's funny. I can't wear it every day because I'm in RTC, but. All right, if y'all don't have business here, this is... I, well, I, no, I, I'm the one that's pressing the charges. Okay, well, y'all wait right here in the lobby and that'll be... Okay, sure thing. Sure thing. No. Yep. Go ahead. Stay. Stay. Get back out. You're not coming Don't fucking touch me! You don't fucking touch me! Don't fucking touch me! Don't fucking touch me! all the time this guy was a cop he's just wearing a hat and even if it said mega on it what gives you the right to put your hands on them why do they think it's okay and why won't the media condemn it story out of new york after shooting top nypd cop warn officers don't wear your uniform on public transit Families shouldn't wear the NYPD logo. They're being told not to wear it in public. They're that concerned. And de Blasio, in another article, kind of admitted that the discretion we're doing is part of this because bad people are getting back on the street. But they're not going to change the policy. We're still going to get a burner phone and two fucking goddamn free credit cards every time we fuck somebody up. Because remember, meth kingpins, that's not a violent person. Beating up Jewish people three times, not a violent purpose person. I mean, should we be surprised when this is from Amy Mech? 
Democratic Socialist of America leader Zoran Kawani Madani is a Muslim immigrant from Uganda who's running for New York State Assembly, District 36. Mamandi describes how Muslims are the victim of 9-11 and continuously pushes unproven claims of discrimination. I was actually born and raised in Kampala, Uganda. And yet, even though we had returned, even though there was a new president, I inherited these same questions of self, these same kind of legacies of trauma and the question of, of who am I and, and where is my home? Because in Uganda, I was Indian. And in India, I was Muslim. And then when we moved to New York, I was all of those things. And New York still has you know, something about it which lulls us all into believing that we too can become New Yorkers, no matter where we come from and who we are, and what we look like, and which God we pray to, or if we don't pray at all. And yet there would be these multiple moments in my childhood where I was reminded that this promise came with exceptions, it came with terms and conditions, and it didn't apply to all of us. And I think of on 9-11, when my teacher pulled me out of school, pulled me out of class, rather, a classmate of mine and myself, and told us that we may get bullied because of what had just happened. And we didn't understand what had happened, and in fact, we were very lucky to have a teacher as kind and caring as that, because most Muslim students did not have that. And yet, what I really remember from that interaction was the understanding that now I was distinct. There was something about me that was different from my classmates. And it's a lesson that I was made to learn again and again, because a few years later when I returned to New York City after a trip with my family abroad, I was taken aside at JFK and put in a double-mirrored room with immigration agents and asked you know, if I had just come from attending a terrorist training camp and if I had intentions on attacking this country and what my thoughts were on the government. And I was 15 years old, and I was terrified. And it even happened a few months ago where I accompanied a client of mine to a bankruptcy proceeding in court in Brooklyn, and the security officers pulled me aside and patted me down with extra care and asked me if I had any weapons of mass destruction with me. And so I realized in that moment that, you know, for many people, we are born into a home. Some people find a home, and then there are others of us who are forced to fight for a home. And I realized that that was what I had to do. I had to fight. See, the left spends all their time trying to get these people together. I have a soundbite of Dove Hinkle. Police just ejected me from the event of Muslims for Peace at Rutgers U, which was a fine event until Rashida Tlaib showed up. I challenged about her anti-Semitism spreading of anti-Jewish blood libel. She has no answer for me. She then got ejected. This was the event. Global crisis, refugee migrants, and asylum seekers, lessons from Prophet Muhammad, Dr. Sayyad Mustafa al-Khwazini, an Islamist, Craig Consini, Rice University, and the biggest Islamist, Rashida Tlaib. He was attacked by the left, saying, why did you even show up? But they pushed for them. They pushed. They need their votes. So they ignore all this stuff. She, uh, uh, Omar, today I'm proud to introduce the Pathway to Peace, a bold vision that prioritizes multilateralism and diplomacy over multi militarism. I believe that when the United States says it champions human rights, democracy, and peace, we should mean it. Abur Shad Omar, Ilian Omar has a plan for progressive foreign policy. The U.S. could stand for human rights, but she also uniquely knows how it's failed to. 
She told me Ben Rhodes praised it. Omar would move wartime money to peace building, give Congress more power over sanctions, join the ICC and UN agreements on migration and child rights. It's a pitch that affirms she's thinking about more than Israeli-Palestinian and eager to have her influence felt. That's the left. They side with Islamists. They don't side with Americans. And then we have our Antifa problem. Andy NGO, first person video recorded recorded on Brandon Brown's GoPro shows the unprovoked attack today at Portland. Then you have a soundbite of them defacing a war monument in downtown. And we'll read what the liberal mayor's response is. Poor Matt and Sean in Oregon. I feel for you, brothers. This is how the mayor literally, literally responded. We are proud of our long history of protecting and celebrating the rights to assemble and free speech. Every year, Portland sees hundreds of peaceful demonstrations. Yesterday, there was a gathering of protests against hate and racism. A few individuals decided to use the opportunity to act out in violence and vandalize properly. Members of the Portland Police Bureau acted swiftly to de-escalate the violence. Parks and Rec got to work and clean graffiti on a war memorial. When our city needed help, public servants and community members stepped up. For this, I am thankful. But then there's another attack. That one. The woman who is a left-wing demonstrator was shoved towards traffic by Antifa because she was accused of calling the police. She's one of theirs. 
She damn near got killed because they threw her out in traffic. And oh, in the backdrop of all this going on, Jesse Smollett is indicted for faking a hate crime that affected so much. There are 16 felonies connected to it. That stoked racial division. And everything you just heard, you don't hear it on the media. They don't cover it. They're too busy trying to fucking spin their garbage fire of a party who's trying to beat Trump in 2020, which is what we'll go to on the other side of a break. And staying with, let's see, what we're going to play. We are going to play the audio of Michael Bloomberg stop and frisk. Because we're going to have a nice little everything is fucking racist coming up in our news and social media nuggets. And our next section is going to be about the new spin. All the lefties left are moderates. And everything you're getting is disinformation from right-wing media and Trump. They're moderates. You need to know that. A scratchy recording of former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has been circulating on social media since Tuesday, appearing to show the billionaire presidential candidate defending the city's stop-and-frisk policy in starkly racial terms. Here's an excerpt from that recording. 95 percent of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description and Xerox it and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. The audio clip was posted by podcaster and Sanders supporter Benjamin Dixon on Twitter and was taken from Bloomberg's comments at the Aspen Institute back in 2015. Bloomberg went on to say, quote, we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. On Tuesday morning, Bloomberg issued a statement apologizing, saying in part, I inherited the police practice of stop and frisk, and as part of our effort to stop gun violence, it was overused. I regret that, and I have apologized, and I've taken responsibility for taking too long to understand the impact it had on black and Latino communities. NBC News has learned that the Bloomberg campaign was aware of the 2015 recording and had prepared a plan for responding when it came out. Joining us now, the host of MSNBC's Politics Nation and president of the National Action Network, Reverend Al Sharpton, and in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Bloomberg <coughs> is campaigning today, national political reporter for NBC News, Josh Letterman. So, so Rev, this is uh, very surprising for a lot of people, but for those, and I think we've talked about this before, you and I, for those that have followed Bloomberg's career, he actually gave an interview in New York Magazine where he said the same exact thing. He said it all comes down to data. He goes, there are two places in, in Brooklyn and in the Bronx. And this is where the majority of murders occur. You can put a circle around it. You can look at the demographics. You can look at data. And he, he said in this New York Magazine interview exactly what he said there, defending stop and frisk. We're, we're putting the police where the crime is. 
The difference about this tape is where he says minority communities is directly racial. And those of us that had protested Stop and Frisk had said all along it was race-based. We were called all kinds of names saying we were trying to make something racial that was in fact a crime-fighting thing. He says you can do a Xerox copy, these are the ones doing the crime, which is racial profiling. Now, he has since apologized, since walked it back, but the policy was race-based. And for the President of the United States to put out that, uh, that uh, Michael Bloomberg was a racist, when he supported uh, this policy and went to Chicago last year and said we ought to have stop and frisk nationally, is laughable. The, the, so the real downside for Bloomberg here politically is this is racial language coming out of his mouth. The upside is that every candidate in this race has a race problem. You have Klobuchar, who's been a, uh, accused of a race case when she was a prosecutor in her home state of Minnesota that she has got to explain now that she's in the top three. You have Buttigieg with police problems. So I think that if anything, it's time for everybody to come to the altar and repent of the their racial sins and try and convince the public and black voters in particular that they are really uh, seeing the error of their ways, but they can't act like they did not do what they did and say what they said. So uh, for Mike Bloomberg, I feel he's got to really talk about this. He can't just profess, I'm sorry. I think it's got to be a conversation outside of his comfort zone. And um, because this is a policy rep that he oversaw for years. He was I mean, you could have learned and that this was a problem during the time. What am I missing? Because not only was it race-based, but it impacted the lives of thousands of African-Americans, millions, millions, millions of minorities, threw them off course. They're in lines in courthouses because of uh, little, you know, tickets that they got in right and left. I mean, this is... But what you yeah, but mother, a lot of people I, I, in real time saw a need, problem. I think people need to understand this at home. Your mother. Yeah. Can you imagine the anxiety families had every day that had kids 18 to 25 going right. outside saying, I hope my child right. is not thrown Stop up against a wall. That's the language you that they're not thrown up against a wall. At a time we have Sean Bell police killing and all. I mean, the whole community was living under siege. Well, and and that's why we were white community and you did that to kids. You'd find pot in their pockets and you'd put them in jail too, but it only happened to black kids. Exactly, and that's what is, is identified there. And that's all we were saying. And we marched, we, I remember the, the NAACP and National Action Network, we had one march, tens of thousands went to his house. It wasn't like so, we were not raising these so issues. How does he deal with this? This is much deeper than. He's going to have to come out of his comfort zone and have a real conversation with real people that were trying to deal with it. I'm talking about Center for Constitutional Rights and uh, uh, the New York Civil Liberties all the people that were dealing with it. You can't just, I know he had a meeting yesterday with some black ministers and others who are very good, but you can't just talk to people that were not the advocates here. And he's got to really your deal interviews. with this issue. And you, have to, and you have to be honest in how you jump into the debate. Uh, he's right factually uh, in the statement he released in response to the video, but he didn't just simply inherit the, inherit the practice. Yes. Over between 2002 and 2011, stop and frisk increased sevenfold 
under under Mayor Bloomberg's uh, uh, mayorship. And, and the New York Times fact-checked this. So you can't just simply try to fudge it. He's going to have to address the issue head-on and directly. If there's an issue here, particularly in the context of Black Lives Matter, he has to answer it. Coming up, Andrew Yang is leaving the White House race, but isn't ruling out a return to politics. The former presidential candidate joins us next on Morning Joe. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. Off of what they thought was a strong performance by Senator Amy Klobuchar on that. Is the primary almost over? Uh, no, but Sanders is doing well. Some of the experts think if he wins, there's a chance he might stop yelling. <laughs> No, it doesn't matter. Bloomberg just bought the entire state and renamed it New Bloomshire. Is your boyfriend still on the running? Oh, my God! You know, when you don't take this seriously, you get the government you deserve. It just so happens that Pete has a lot of interesting ideas about health care and a puggle rescue that is incredibly cute. <laughs> Becky, we better get going. we got to get there before you're dead. Finally, and it is a dogfight on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders is leading, as you see. Man, Warren could use a boost. Yeah, it's nice to have a candidate who's also a single mom. She provided childcare for the caucuses last week. I was this close to flying to Iowa so I could go to a movie. Why are you scared of the government? They work for us. You could even tweet the president and tell him what you want. I'm not scared. Hi, at real Donald Trump. Since you work for us, could you send us some cheese packets for our macaroni? <laughs> this is at Real Mary Connor from Lanford, Illinois, where Chicago is. Aww. He'll probably answer back. That guy loves to tweet. <laughs> That's how we learn where our military is. <laughs> Harris, just vote. Why? Because some of these people are trying to help you. Warren and Sanders want to pay your college tuition. Yang wants to give you a thousand bucks a month. And Biden wants to decriminalize marijuana. Wow. Well, if I ever get to college, I am going to need some weed and spending money. <laughs> okay, I'll vote for them. This country is doomed. You could get a tax cut and you could get regulatory changes from any Republican. It would be anathema for them not to do it actually. But when it comes to what else you get with this president that is not Chris Sununu, in fact, no Sununu that I've ever met, um, saying that he's going to put people in cages because he likes the message of harshness. Uh, going after trade imbalances by putting tariffs on that you know hurt consumers here. These are not conservative values. He does not talk to people or about people in a way that you ever have in your campaign. You're endorsing the way he speaks, not just the policies. Are you okay with that? Well, look, we have very different styles. I, I don't think anybody has the same style as the president. It's not right? a style, he, he Governor. A it's not a style. Team. It's not a style. When you put kids in cages, it's not a style. When you endorse the policy because no, you terms like of the harshness. He talks, look, he talks, he, yeah. Look, he I mean, talks he, in he a says lot things that you would never say, Governor. You'd never say it because you'd no, never be able to walk and, back and in your own parents' house. But he says it, and you're look, owning it by endorsing him. That's my, my, my argument. 
Uh, no, that's ab- no, that's absolutely not true. T- Donald Trump does not define Chris Sununu. He doesn't even define the Republican Party. Right? One person, one point in time, one event does not define the party and where we need to go as a country. This this election and what you're looking at, Republicans and Democrats, wh- whatever candidates you want to put up there, the president against whatever candidate, are you going to believe in it, that it's a big government, big system? That is going to solve all your problems. Government is not here to solve your problems. And that is why Donald Trump connects with folks. Government is here to create doors of opportunity and for your kids and your business, uh, your, your, as individuals, whatever it might be. And then it's up to you to walk through that door. That's the opportunity government has to create uh, prosperity and, uh, and, and chances, whether it's mental health, opioids, whatever it might be. Mm. It's not a one-size-fits-all government system. And at the end of the day, it's about results. Do I like the way the, the president talks all the time? Absolutely not. I don't like how he says certain things. I don't like the hyperbole and some of the vulgar language he uses. Of course not. But this is really fundamentally about where we're going to go. Are we going to back a socialist? Or are we going to back the American uh, democracy and people having their own say and having the chance to guide their own path forward? And that's I get what the, we're here for, I those get doors the fear. of opportunity. I get the fear of socialism. I get why that's working. I get that that's going to be a battle of definitions. But I have to argue to you, Governor, that it's deeper than you're suggesting right now. When he called New Hampshire a drug-infested den. Look, you've got a big problem with opioids uh, that is disproportionate. It's one of the highest in the country, depending on the metric, the highest. It's not because New Hampshire sucks. It's not because they're bad people there. It's not the way it should be defined. And that's the past that you're giving him. I know you went after him about that when he said it, Governor. I read it. We did. Uh, There's no question. But I'm saying he does that all the time to whomever he opposes. And you say you don't want a socialist, but you're okay with an autocrat that says don't believe the free press, the uh, FBI is out to get you, you can't trust any of the institutions of government unless they agree with me. These are things you would never say, that you would never allow on no, an opponent, not. and you'd never endorse, and yet you're endorsing the president. I don't get how you accept that part of it. Government has to be about results. It has to have accountability. Right. It's enough. The days of we're just going to talk, say this and say this, but really not do anything. We're going to say we're going to you know, find regulatory reform, but not do it. We have got presidents that have said they're going to fight for better deals overseas and never done it. This president gets results. He's and at gotten, the end of the day, that's all he got I care the US about. C- I care about the and got, he got the USMCA. And, which is wonderful. If look, I'm not yeah. arguing the policy. That's for politicians to do. He got it done. Exactly what's going on right now is what should be going on. We're going to find out who can throw a punch, who can take a punch, and we're going to put the strongest candidate on the field. My worry about Senator Sanders is very specific to the numbers. He doesn't represent the majority of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is a center-left party, not a far-left party. Medicare for All is not popular among Democrats when you take away the private but health Joe, insurance option. So he's, you know, if Joe, we... Joe, let me, if, let me jump no, in here. Yeah. I, and also, uh, let me jump in here. I understand that. And I, and I, and I have been saying that, I don't know, for years now, <laughs> since we've had this whole, well, actually since 2018, since we've had this whole thing about, um, you know, the Democrats are moving to the left right. and it's socialist and it's on and on and on. And so I've been giving people the facts about the Democratic Party that it's actually a centrist party, right? It's actually a more moderate, most people make up the more moderates, but, Bernie Sanders does motivate people. Absolutely. He inspires people. He has an army of people who show up at his rally. They had 7,500 people tonight. You cannot discount that. No, though, I can can't you? discount it. And when I say it's a minority party, it's in a very important part of the party uh, because he does bring in new people. He does motivate them. And, and if he can figure out a way to expand his base to bring in the center of the party, mm-hmm. 
then he'll be a very strong nominee. He just hasn't done much there, but he's got this, you know, he's okay. got this very high floor. He's going to have 25 to 30 percent of the voters now that Elizabeth Warren seems to have faded a bit. Uh, and if, you know, while the moderates okay. all fight each other, the numbers are going to look good for him. But at some point, it's going to come down to a, a, a fight in the party about where we are. Okay. And I wouldn't I say it the way James Carville said it, but we are a centrist party. Well, you've got more than 50%, if you combine Buttigieg and Klobuchar and some of the other candidates, are in that moderate lane. So is this a rejection of Bernie Sanders and the liberal or progressive no. voters who are the most energetic, the most passionate? And no, how do you I, deal with them if they are rejected? Let's talk about Bloomberg's chances as we've seen the results from New Hampshire. You've got more than 50% of the vote was in the, the moderate lane. Pete Buttigieg, uh, who did so well and, uh, as you point out, uh, might have actually bested Bernie Sanders if Klobuchar hadn't done so well. Of course, she would argue that she might have she might have even come in first if Pete hadn't been so well in that moderate lane. But this is by design, Senator, and I think we probably have to remind people about this. And some of the biggest increases to the deficits and ultimately the debt over the last uh, 20, 25 years have been wars and tax cuts. And then everybody who hasn't talked about deficits for the longest time gets very, very excited about deficits and says, we're going to have to control these. And the only way we can control these is cutting social spending. Well, that's exactly right, Ali. Uh, I remember for years uh, I was the senior Democrat on the House Budget Committee. And... Paul Ryan and the House Republicans used to lecture us and the country uh, about the need for more fiscal responsibility. Uh, if you look over a record of time, uh, Democrats have been much more fiscally uh, responsible than Republicans because we don't uh, provide these huge tax breaks for very wealthy people. We've actually had more of a pay-as-you-go uh, approach. And if you look at this Trump budget, I, it just bursts the seams on the debt and deficit. I mean, any pretense that Republicans had for caring about uh, deficits uh, is thrown out the window. And that's even with magical assumptions about economic growth, which are uh, hallucinatory in, in this budget that the president has proposed. President Trump, meanwhile, isn't leaving New Hampshire to the Democrats. He's holding his first post-impeachment trial rally in Manchester, New Hampshire tonight. Supporters have been lining up in the cold and the rain for hours to get in. So let's get to our chief White House correspondent, Jonathan Carl, tonight. He's there as well. And, John, the president's coming off of two victories, his acquittal in the impeachment trial and, of course, those new numbers on jobs in the economy. David, Trump supporters are as energized as they have ever been. People started waiting up to get in here, waiting in line yesterday, spending all night out in that cold rain and snow. We may be seeing the high watermark of the Trump presidency. You mentioned the impeachment trial is over, the Russia investigation is over, the economy is strong, and the Democrats seem to be in disarray. But if this is the high watermark for the Trump presidency, it's only so high. The Gallup poll, his approval rating is 49 percent, its highest ever, but that's still less than half the country. Trump will have a tough battle for re-election, no matter who the Democrats nominate. And trust me, his campaign... They're not moderates. Washington Post, perspective. You like Amy Klobuchar now. Remember that when your inner sexist starts doubting her, columnist Monica Hess writes. But there's also a possibility, sometimes in the future, she appears more on your television screen... 
if she continues to gain in the polls, you might find yourself thinking negatively about her and the way we specifically think negatively about female candidates. For reasons you cannot explain, Amy Klobuchar would suddenly remind you of your mother-in-law or your ex-wife. will feel like she's lecturing you. will feel like she's talking too much. You'll think it has nothing to do with her being a woman. It will have everything to do with being a woman. And people already said, teeing up the sexism card already. Give it a rest. It must be exhausting walking around all day with self-imposed persecution. Don't worry. We got in our liberals. It, it's the new thing. They're starting it. Anna Pressler started it. Everybody's sexist. Just remember that. You're fucking sexist. Even if you're not. You are. So just get over yourself. But let's be honest. None of these people are moderates. Socialized health care. Not moderate. All of them. Radical abortion agenda. The Federalist Christopher Bedford highlighted Buttleg's radical pro-abortion stance as Mayor of South Bend he vetoed the opening of a pro-life pregnancy center near an abortion clinic when the corpses of 2,246 babies were uncovered in an Illinois office of deceased South Bend abortionist. He fretted the evidence of abortions. Disturbing brutality would impact women's need to access health care. Normal people through a funeral form that we'll hear today in news and social media nuggets. Washington Exam reported that Minnesota Senator Klobuchar has compiled a 100% rating with Planned Parenthood and NARAL. I mean, you got to be good to get that. It's harder than the NRA. you got to be for killing babies to college. They're all anti-gun. Free college for illegals, all of them. Packing the Supreme Court, getting rid of the Electoral College. These are not normal people. They are not moderates. And I have proof of it in just a second. Yashar Ali, new documents reveal DNC was intimately involved with Iowa caucus flap. Whole article, they, they were part of it. Tom Perez, who criticized it publicly, he was part of the development. But you see how they played it off on Iowa? That's a Democrat. They're going to bust throw their mother if they could to get win. That's all they want is a win. And if these people are so moderate, Jennifer Rubin. So who's the moderate to stop Bernie? Because that's what this is all about. Stopping Bernie. they got to stop Bernie. They can't have Bernie as their fucking candidate. They know it. And they have so much stuff working against them. Here's a guy on CBS, Jamal Simmons. Whole list of accomplishments helping African Americans. I'm going to send this flag up to the Democratic Party. People need to understand this. We talked to Terrence Woodbury, who's a, a young African American pollster. He has been saying for months that he thinks Trump is going very hard at African American men, particularly younger African American men, Kim and Kanye West, uh, ASAP Rocky getting out of Sweden, uh, HBCU money. He's got a whole list of things the president has been doing. I think they're not going to let up. And he doesn't have to win it. He just has to tick it up a couple of points in some key places to have it count. And Democrats need to have a candidate who really has a strategy about how to deal with that. And if Bernie, I mean, it's it's not good. It's just not good when you start breaking down the numbers. All right, they know things aren't going well. Here's uh, just a few things. Um, Trump's record-breaking incumbent voter turnout, 2020, 118,774. 
Obama, 49,000. Bush, 53. Clinton, 76. Reagan, 65. Compared to past elections, are you more enthusiastic, less enthusiastic, about the same? Republicans, more, 47. Same, 41. Less, 10. Democrats, more, 36. Same, 32. Less, 30. And Biden's poll, Quinnipiac, starting in April, 38, 35, 30, 22, 34, 32. He's at 17% right now. For the first time ever, ever, Jennifer Epstein reports, Sanders leads Biden 25 to 17 in a national poll. But the media is spinning. They're just spinning. They're saying it's all disinformation. But here's some facts for you. You know who the Koch brothers are. You know about every conservative donor. Did you know Steyer, Bloomberg, Sussman, Eichner gave $63,970,900 to liberals, dwarfing the top 39 conservative donors? Steinberg, Spielberg himself has given $3.5 million to liberals this election cycle. But all you hear is a negative on Trump, and then it's a death star of disinformation. A chilling new article, an expose, is shedding light on the fierce battle the Trump re-election campaign is waging online. Actively spreading disinformation, otherwise known as lies, ahead of this November's election. The Atlantic's McKay Coppins writes this. These pro-Trump forces are poised to wage what could be the most extensive disinformation campaign in U.S. history. Whether or not it succeeds in re-electing the president, the wreckage it leaves behind could be irreparable. I had engaged in this exercise with the idea that I would be able to track the information and content that the Trump campaign was kind of pumping out on Facebook. Uh, And what happened was that over the course of several weeks during the impeachment proceedings, I found myself almost drowning in this torrent of propaganda, misinformation, lies, conspiracy theories. One Republican strategist calls this campaign, specifically the digital campaign, David, what's the responsibility of a General Kelly, of a General Mattis, of a John Bolton, of the Republicans in the Senate who will whisper behind closed doors? We always hear, oh, they'll admit behind closed doors that the president's actions or his behavior unacceptable. But what's their public responsibility as you see it? Well, I think it's going to be a question of their personal integrity. And I think it's interesting that General Kelly's offering these comments he's not hiding it um but he's not necessarily going out of his way to be on the record john bolton evidently will share some things in in his book um and you know as as for republicans they're simply too scared politically to go against the president i think this question of personal integrity is important because the president is kind of operating with a fog machine he takes his grievances against his perceived enemies and sometimes he's got you know legitimate complaints about people but then what he does is use the fog machine to create this fog uh to create a new narrative that's at that odds with the facts and so what general kelly's doing here is saying hey wait a minute let's not let's not demonize colonel vindman for doing what we trained folks in the military to do 
not to follow what he deemed to be an illegal order. Um, so it's an important moment of standing up for someone and trying to push back against that. Uh, it, it seems very little in, uh, in, in the context of what's going on right now, but it's something. They are so desperate. Google's next news investment, the Young Turks on YouTube. Sources say they invested mid-six-figure from Axios. Investment is part of YouTube's $25 million commitment to news effort, which is part of the $300 million Google News initiative that was announced in 2018. And they threw money at the Young Turks. Those guys are extreme as fuck. I'll read one reply tweet. It's still 2016, apparently. Ha, 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 news. Ha, 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 progressive. Ha, 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 ha. Obama literally came out. And before I say what he said and play just a little soundbite of him, I want you to argue with them and get in their face. They get bitter. They cling to guns or religion or antipathy antipathy to people who aren't like them. Punch back twice as hard. The guy who went full blast against a plumber. A plumber. Jim Hassan says the guy who organized and ran the truly dangerous disinformation campaign to deceive Americans about the Iran deal. Your minion, Rhodes, bragged about BSing the media to hide all the lies and deception. Maybe sit this one out, buddy. When is this person going to be questioned under oath about his illegal spying? From the one who legalized government propaganda. Ever notice how everything they say they're afraid of being done was done by them already? And this is his tweet. Even if the methods are new, sowing the seeds of doubt, division, and discord to turn Americans against each other is an old trick. The antidote is citizenship to get engaged, organized, mobilized, and to vote on every level in every election. Says the guy who did this. One of my few regrets is my inability to reduce the polarization and meanness in our politics. I mean, Republicans in Congress right now have shown over and over they'll do anything to rig the system for those at the top, even if the obstruction keeps the system rigged against the middle class. Middle class families can't wait for Republicans in Congress to do stuff. So sue me. Say that climate change constitutes a serious threat to global security. Denying it or refusing to deal with it endangers our national security. It undermines the readiness of our forces. You, you've seen an extreme faction of the Republican Party that has shown again and again and again that they're willing to hijack the entire party and the country and the economy. Way members of Congress and the House Republicans in particular don't get to demand ransom in exchange for doing their jobs. That that ideological extremism and maximalist position uh, is much more prominent right now in the Republican Party. I think it's somewhat ironic uh, to see uh, some members of Congress wanting to make common cause with the hardliners in Iran. You don't negotiate by putting a gun to the other person's head, or worse yet, by putting a gun to the American people's head by threatening a shutdown. Think about what we could do if a reckless few didn't hold the economy hostage every few months. It is not a negotiation when I show up at your house and say, give me everything inside or I'm going to burn it down. What we're not for is negotiating with people who have a bomb strapped to their chest. The, the Republicans have provided a laundry list of essentially ransom demands. I cannot think of a more potent recruitment tool for ISIL than some of the rhetoric that's been coming out of here during the course of this debate. They are promoting policies 
that harm millions of Americans. They're not necessarily cold-hearted. They just sincerely believe that if we give more tax breaks to a fortunate few and we invest less in the middle class and we reduce or eliminate the safety net for the poor and the sick and we cut food stamps and we cut Medicaid and we let banks and polluters and credit card companies and insurers do only what's best for their bottom line without the responsibility of the rest of us, then somehow the economy will boom and jobs and prosperity will trickle down to everybody. The tone of our politics hasn't gotten better since I was inaugurated. In fact, it's gotten worse. Man, that's some fucking big old cajones, man. Big old cajones. I'm watching Narco Mexico. I turned back on Netflix just to watch it, then I'm going to shut it off because I do like that show. And it's gotten worse. It's all gay, lesbian, anti-conservative. It's fucking horrible. Netflix is garbage. But there's Obama saying it. And the media, well, they're starting to see things aren't going good for the Dems. As we read all the polls that aren't working their way, Trump's resilience caused Democrats to sound the alarm. Whole article. Axios, Democratic disarray and dysfunction. It's the worst week for Democrats since Donald Trump election. Why it matters. Less than 200 hours, Democrats botched Iowa, watched Trump hit an all-time popularity high, debated ousting the DNC chair, and watched the socialist soar and an ideological civil war intensify. Axios' Margaret Tlaib reports from New Hampshire that amid real enthusiasm the candidate rallies, there's an underlying unease about unifying the party before November. What we're hearing, there's a new, I'm sorry, i got to keep drinking coffee. It's cold as fuck down here. It's like 16 degrees outside. There's a new fatalism in my conversation with Democrats, with many telling me that what once seemed unthinkable, Trump re-election in November, is now starting to look more likely. In a CNN segment this morning that included Friday rosy economic statistics, a graphic asked, is Trump re-election path widening? This is all the more galling to Democrats because they believe he truly sees himself above the law. Adam Schiff tweeted some more bullshit between the lines. Talk to well-wired Republicans and they'll tell you self-sabotage. Polls good for Gallup, for Trump, but he's a piece of shit. And then they start blowing sunshine up their ass to try to get them to be motivated for the election. And they run very few sound bites, but here are some on the Dem dysfunction. Yeah, and I think the problem is that Democrats here in New Hampshire, when all is said and done, they're saying this looks like a B-level field of candidates. No one head and shoulders above the rest the way that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were in 2008. All, Even the top tier have severe problems with at least one faction of the party, if not multiple problems. Dante just used the left. You actually use the perfect B-level, Jason. And I say this, it doesn't, this is no offense to anybody. One of these people will feel like an A-person at some point. Right, right. They just, it, I get why he says that. It feels like there's no star. There, there is no star. And I'll say this just as clearly and directly as I can. The only thing, the only thing between the United States and the abyss is the Democratic Party. That's it. And if we go the way of the British Labor Party... If we nominate Jeremy Coburn, it's going to be the end of days. We're going to lose. The, we're going to be the British Labour Party. We're going to be out in some theoretical left-wing la-la land. So, what what exactly are you afraid of? I'm afraid that Donald Trump is going to get reelected, and I have to do this for four more years. And I don't think we can make it. I really don't. It's just the country can't continue like this. 
and it has to have an alternative. I know, Joe, you're not a member of the Democratic Party, but you know this as well as I do. That's it. That's the only hope for America. If there's a certain part of the Democratic Party that wants us to be a cult, I'm not interested in being in a cult. I'm, I'm 75 years old. I'm just not a, I'm not a very culty person. Some people in this country want a revolution. They want disruption. Uh, you know, I don't know what, you know, they scream at people. They, they go and bully people. And I don't know how you win an election that 78 years old, stand up screaming in a microphone about the revolution. These people are perfectly happy to be Jeremy Coburn. They're, they're all campaigning for him. They're taking pictures and everything. I mean, good God, we've got to do something. Hey, listen. Five people are coming out still in this race after New Hampshire. This is extraordinary. And we've got Michael Bloomberg sitting there with a billion plus dollars. You know, none of us sitting around here. This thing could go anyway. To the convention. It could go to Milwaukee. Yeah. You bet. Could go to Milwaukee. Nobody knows how this is going. Is that a good thing? No. 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 (laughs) Let's get an early nomination. Let's get after Trump. No, the longer we go, everybody's fighting. And Trump, then, is building, and, Trump is building, building, and Trump is building, building, building. There's building. a lot for Democrats to be nervous about with the way that the primary is playing out. One of that is how long it's going to take. One of them is how the, the attacks are getting more pointed. And one of them is voter turnout. Unless That's we start seeing, I mean, since Trump was elected, we have seen record-breaking turnout in elections that usually people ignore entirely. I'm talking about special elections for a state legislature seat. Why, all of a sudden, when we get to the show, when we get to the presidential primary, do we start seeing voter levels drop off to lower than 16? Well, I don't, what's the answer to that If it goes question? long, let me be very clear. It is going to be a fight for the Democrat. It is going to be a fight right up to the end, tearing each other apart right up through yeah. July, which is That's not good that. for our party. And I know Elizabeth Warren said tonight. But, but Bernie Sanders has said this time that he will support... The Democratic Well, he did, he did last time. time. He did last time yeah. when he campaigned. But his supporters, but it's some of the supporters did not. His and that supporters was the problem. did not, and but, that but, I think could be. Listen, he's, he's on track. Uh, it is true uh, that he is, uh, he can get uh, black support. He is winning Latino, Latina support right now. He's got young support. He's got an army of donors that will, are willing to, he's, he's, he and Bloomberg have inexhaustible resources because he can get so this guy is doing it. And listen, I remember with, when Trump was on the march and everybody kept saying, yeah, OK, so he won this time. But, you know, of course, he'll be stopped. And let's just figure out, you know, what Marco Rubio is going to do or somebody else is going to do. This guy is on the march. Um, I think you're going to see the establishment freak out and try to stop him. But tonight you have to give him credit. Uh, it is very, very difficult to pull off what he's pulled off. He's never actually been a part of this party, uh, but he's transformed the party without joining it. And now the voters are coming with him. And, and the support, I mean, the small dollar donations that he is what has been fueling his campaign, uh, it is extraordinary. I mean, it is something we haven't really seen. I think that we can say right now we have a new Democratic frontrunner. Bernie Sanders is the frontrunner for the 2020 race. Yeah. Let, let, uh, first of all, Bernie Sanders will be here till the end of this race. He is, he is built for, he is durable here. He's got renewable resources, a very committed base. Um, but I just want to say again, there are warning signs in these first two races here, too. We can say that he's bringing the people along with him, but 75 percent of them didn't come. And that's true in, in uh, Iowa as well. So the fact is he's not, you know, he won 60 percent in the state last time. And yes, it was a two. Let him finish. Let him finish. But but but. If if there is if if there is a uh, a center left candidate around whom people uh, gravitate, there is a majority 
of voters there to, 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 to take him on. Whether that happens is a big question. We've I, I got two moderate this. candidates I, who come out I, of this in very strong shape right. tonight. Hey, look, Buttigieg right. and Klobuchar. And the combined total of Buttigieg and Klobuchar tells you that Bernie Sanders, while winning here, has got a long way to go to build a coalition to win this nomination. The moderate lane appears a little wider tonight. It's a little wider. It's still a little crowded, though. Claire, I think it's fair to say you're, you represent the centrist left. So, assuming that's the case, what, what is your lane of the party do here? I mean, you've got Biden. Is somebody need to talk to him about potentially deciding not to go forward with the race? He's hanging everything on South Carolina. I mean, how do you coalesce? How do you decide, okay, we need one standard bearer here, or is this going to be Bernie Sanders? I think there are folks out there that will hopefully convince some of these candidates to coalesce after Super Tuesday. If you look, a lot more people are voting for a more moderate, pragmatic approach to the problems we face. Since Iowa, we've all got the phone calls. We've all talked to the voters. They are very concerned with the current field right yes. now and are saying, I mean, how many panic calls? I can tell you, I get a lot of panic calls this week. Oh, yeah. And from people, it's funny, but a lot of panicked calls and emails and texts. I got panic called, Joe, what do we do? What are we going to, this is, we're in desperate straits. What's going to happen? Are we going to win? You know, because there is such, <laughs> and they're doing that to everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're calling you to everybody. There is just this fear that among the current crop of candidates, there's a fear that there may not be the ability to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, you hear it time and again. I heard it a lot last week, particularly because of what happened in Iowa, which right. looked like a big mess to Democrats, but also because the president was acquitted on impeachment. It's getting so disarrayed over there, dysfunctional. Here's a soundbite, which we played earlier, but I want to make sure we hear it, because now they're going after Chuck Todd. Hey, I want to bring up something that um, Jonathan um, last put in the... Uh, bulwark today and it was about how in ruth we've all been on the on the receiving end of the of the birdie online brigade and here's what he says he says no other candidate has anything like this sort of digital brown shirt brigade i mean except for donald trump the question no one is asking is this what if you can't win the presidency without an online mob what if we now live in a world where having a bullying agro social media army running around popping anyone who sticks their head up is either an important ingredient for or a critical market marker of success. Okay, wow. okay, that's I know like... everybody's freaking out about this, but you saw the MAGA rally that's prepared around here. There are people coming from three or four states on that. That's real and, you know, that is a, this is like burning. Uh, that is a really depressing sentence that you just read. And But we saw a little bit of this at the State Party Democratic Dinner Saturday night where Pete Buttigieg was talking about how it's not, you can't um, always have a revolution. And the Bernie supporters there who had great flashing purple signs started chanting Wall Street Pete, Wall Street Pete. This is, this is the makings of an ugly primary season coming ahead of us and the makings of a potentially really ugly general election campaign this is a part of the campaign that we never had to worry about four years ago yeah and i think the question becomes what if we get to the convention and bernie sanders does not have anywhere near a majority but he has a plurality 
he has 35, 37% of the delegates. And he goes to the convention and says, I won more primaries than anyone else. I have more delegates than anyone else. I dare you to deny me the nomination That's of superdelegates. Right, you don't have superdelegates anymore. I mean, on the first ballot. At least yeah. on the first ballot. You don't have the members of Congress who would be the elders. I mean, that was exactly the reform that the Bernie Sanders people demanded. I, I want to say this, though, about this sort of online army. And again, we've we've all been, been we've victimized and encouraged and responded to all. You say one word. Critical they, thing of they, Sanders. They, 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 they dig through everything yeah. and they, they sort of attack like a pack of dogs. Here's the thing. Those people, and I've never been the person who says Twitter's not real. Twitter is real. A lot of those people are actual human beings. 7% of the country. Yeah, you know, they, they are sort of talking at home. But the vast majority of Americans aren't on Twitter arguing about these things. Raw story carries it. Chuck Todd should apologize and resign. MSNBC anchor blasted for Nazi smear. MSC anchor Chuck Todd was blasted for likening the supporters of Bernie Sanders to Nazi brown shirts, despite the fact Sanders was the first Jewish candidate to put together a viable campaign for president and lost family members in the Holocaust. You can never be woke enough. But while complaining about having his views challenged by supporters of Sanders, Todd uncritically cited a column by Jonathan Last, Jonathan Last that appeared on the conservative media outlet Bulwark. We already heard it. Brown shirts. We're not sure what's funnier here, that the same people who have been calling Trump supporters Nazis are mad they're being called names, or the media outlets are calling the bulwark a conservative media outlet. RD, it is very funny to see Bernie supporters melting down and screaming fire Chuck Todd for referring to them as brown shirts. Carl Gustav, after calling the right Nazis for three years, is adorable to see the fire Chuck Todd trend because some commie Bernie supporters are butthurt. It's okay when we do it. Orange man bad, dude. Eric Friedman, Bernie Sanders supporters have spent the last four years calling every person who disagrees with them Nazis, but want fire Chuck Todd because he allegedly did the same thing to them. The irony. It's a whole Twitter thing. It's a whole Twitter thing. It's really bad. It's just bad. They are what they hate there are. Texas conservative tweeted this, and I retweeted, it's been retweeted a billion times. Democrat ideal presidential nominee, put illegals first over U.S. citizens, demonize success, reward failure, glorify our foreign enemies, protect terrorists, tout more and even complete gun control, espouse free speech suppression, more and higher taxes. The list goes on. And then they pass a law to ban memes. Jessica Cook a bunch of biggest meme accounts on Instagram are sponsored by Mike Bloomberg. He went out and bought the services of the following people. My Therapist Says, White People Humor, The Funny Introvert, Kale Salad, Sunny Side Up, Tank Sinatra, Shithead Steve, Adam the Creator, Moist Buddha, Miss, Mrs. Dow Jones, Trash Can Paul, Comedy, Neat Dad, 420, it goes on. There's like a hundred people, but I thought they're not supposed to have it. Then they have Max Boots putting out flyers. Please, Democrats, do the smart thing and coalesce quickly around one of the three moderates, but like Klobuchar or Bloomberg, who are still standing after the first two contents. The future of our democracy may depend on it. Then a new flyer 
by Culinary 226 warns members that Bernie Sanders would end their much-loved union health care. The union has not announced whether it will endorse, but the flyer appears to be part of a coordinated campaign ahead of the caucuses. On the evening he emerges with momentum from New Hampshire, Bernie is being nuked in Nevada by culinary with flyers in Spanish and English. The union properties and direct communication to 60,000 members. Joe Biden, good. Pete Budlick, good. Amy Klobuchar, good. Bernie Sanders, bad. Tom Steyer, bad. Elizabeth Warren, good. It's a huge flyer. We vote, we win for our families. One, two, three. Democracy, Democratic Party presidential candidates are on culinary union issues. I mean, they're bringing it all out. To kill him. And they're forgetting they built this. They made this clusterfuck. When all you do is pander to 10,000 groups, what the fuck do you expect's going to happen? And then pile on the fact that you already fucked Bernie and his supporters when you grabbed Hillary thinking she was the sure thing. And now your your fucking Bloomberg is a problem. Biden is tanking because people don't want an old dude. And then you get articles like this. We'll start slow. It took me some time to find these, so that's why I got to cover them. Songer and Jeedy. Hearing from some members of the Yang gang who pulled out of the race who now say they will vote Trump 2020 because they want to support a working-class candidate but don't like Bernie culturally woke element. Interesting phenomenon. Another Yang Gang Trumper who said I could share his thoughts. Since we're all sharing, I was a Bernie voter in 2016, ended up loving Yang, and honestly, wasn't there what, what wasn't there to love? Such a unifying man with no cons- nonsense policy is the only person who ever answered a question fully, understandably, with a clear and simple solution that are so simple it's like rediscovering the wheel. However, I'll vote for Trump in 2020 because the way the left and very liberal supporters dogged my man since day one because he doesn't go with the grain when it comes to wokeness, which we all know is bullshit. I will not vote Democrat in 2020 because when pressed for real ideas, they come up with federal job guarantee, Green New Deal, which is not an environmental plan. If it was, we needed nuclear, not free health care, and college, and guaranteed construction jobs. I do support a centralized health care insurance from government. And honestly, the way they treat people who don't agree with them is reminiscent of discrimination. You're instantly shunned if you don't agree with them. A Bloomberg voter. Hey, Sajar, love the show. As someone who is a Yang supporter, I would lean towards Bloomberg at this moment at my second option. I believe that he is the most centrist candidate for the Democratic Party and someone who, like Yang, would reach across the aisle and get things done. I expect the concerns of those who bring up stop and frisk and his ability to buy a nomination as an issue, which they are, but ultimately I do think it's important for us to vote, not just who can beat Trump, but who has the policy to be representative of the working people. Another Yang gang. 
I'm 28, and in the last 10 years, no politician has inspired me the way Yang did. His message wasn't left or right. It was all about unifying the average American. So much rhetoric from the Democrats focused on demonizing any moderate or right-leaning person who has conservative views. I'm a father, too. I'm in the middle class. I share both liberal and conservative views, and I'm not a huge fan of Donald Trump. Yang, Andrew Yang, out of the Democratic race, I can't imagine myself supporting anyone else on the side of the ballot. Trump keeps things real, may not like what he says all the time, but who's, who we see is who he is. I believe Bernie has a huge populist movement behind them for the same reason, but a Democratic Socialist in office would devastate our economy. Andrew Yang had the solution. Then we have the money shot. I don't like reading whole op-eds, but it's hard for me not to read this. Black female, later 20s. After attending a Trump rally, this was on Medium, I now know Democrats have no shot in 2020. I've been a Democrat for 20 years, but my experience made me realize just how out of touch my party is with the country at large. I think those of us on the left need to take a long look in the mirror and have an honest conversation about what's going on. If you had told me three years ago that I would ever attend a Donald Trump rally, I would have laughed and assured you it was never going to happen. Heck, if you had told me I would do it three months ago, I probably would have done the same thing. So how did I find myself among 11,000-plus Trump supporters in Manchester, New Hampshire? Believe it or not, it all started with knitting. You might not think of the knitting world as particularly political community, but you'd be wrong. Many knitters are particularly active in social justice communities and love to discuss revolutionary role knitters and play in our culture. Oh, my God, I can't believe I just read that. I started noticing this about a year ago, particularly on Instagram. I needed his way to relax and escape the drama of real life, not for further engage, engage with it. But it was impossible to ignore after roving gangs of online social justice warriors start going after anyone in the nitty community who was not lockstep in their, lockstep in their ideology. Knitting stars on Instagram were bullied and mobbed by hundreds of people for seeming innocuous offenses. One man got mobbed so badly that had a nervous breakdown and was admitted to a hospital on suicide watch. Many things were not right about the hatred, and witnessing the vitriol comes from those I had aligned myself with politically was a massive wake-up call. Democrats have an ass-kicking coming to them in November. I think most of them will be utterly shocked when it happens. You see, I was on one of those Democrats who considered anyone who voted for Trump a racist. I thought they were horrible, yes, even deplorables, and worked very hard to eliminate their voices from my space by unfriending or blocking people or spoke about their support of him, however minor their comments. I watched a lot of MSDNC, was convinced that everything he had done was horrible, that he hated anyone, everyone and anyone who wasn't a straight white man, and that he had no redeeming qualities. But when I witnessed the amount of hate coming from the left in this small niche knitting community, I started to question everything. I started making a proactive effort to break my echo chamber by listening to voices I thought would disagree with. I wanted to understand their perspective, believe it would confirm that they were filled with hate for anyone who wasn't like them. Then that turned out to not be the case. The more voices outside the left that I listened to, the more I realized that they were not bad people. They were not racists or Nazis or white supremacists. We had differences of opinion on social and economic issues, but a difference of opinion does not make your opponent inherently evil. And they could justify their opinions using arguments rather than shouting and ranting I saw coming from my side of the aisle. I started to discover, perhaps rediscover, the hashtag walkaway movement. 
I had heard about Walkaway when MSNBC told me it was fake and a bunch of Russian bots. But then I started to meet real people who had been Democrats and made the decision to leave because they could not stand the way the left was behaving. I watched town halls they held with different minority communities, all available in the entirety on YouTube. And I saw a sane, rational discussion with people of all different backgrounds and races, orientations, and experience. I joined the Facebook group for the community and saw stories popping up daily of people sharing why they're leaving the Democratic Party. This wasn't fake. These people are not Russian bots. Moreover, it felt like a breath of fresh air. There was not universal agreement in this group. Some were Trump supporters, some weren't. But they talked and shared their perspective without shouting or rage or trying to cancel each other out. I started to question everything. How many stories that I've been sold that weren't true? What if my perception of the other side is wrong? How is it possible that half the country is overtly racist? Is it possible that Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing and I've been suffering it for the past three years? And the biggest question of all was this. Did I hate Trump so much that I want to see my country fail just to spite him and everyone who voted for him? Fast forward to New Hampshire primary and we were, have all the politicians running around the state making their case. I've seen almost every Democrat candidate in, one, in person and noticed that their message was almost universally one of doom and gloom. Not only focusing on the obvious disagreements with Donald Trump, but also making sure to emphasize that the country is a horrible racist place. Now... I do believe there are very real issues when it comes to race that we as a society have yet to reckon with. I believe that everyone from every background of every gender should have equal access to opportunity, and that no one is inherently more or less valuable or worthy than anyone else. And while the 2017 protests in Charlottesville, Virginia led to tragedy precipitated by real racists, real Nazis, and real white supremacists, I started to see that those labels simply don't apply to most people who support Trump. But with all of this... I was still reticent to even consider attending a Trump event. I do not believe that Trump attitude is worthy of the highest office in the land. I bore his Twitter. I'm vehemently opposed to so many of his policies, but still I wanted to see for myself. I'm not going to lie, I was nervous. So I thought I would start my day in a familiar territory at the MSNBC live show that was taking a place a few blocks away from the rally. I decided to wear my red hat that looks like Trump hat, but with one small difference it says make speech free again as my small protest against cancel culture. I even got a photo with MSNBC host Ari Mulber where I was wearing it just for kicks. The funny thing about the hat is that it's completely open to interpretation. When I wear it around left-leaning people, they think I'm talking about the right. When I wear it around right-leaning folks, they think I'm talking about the left. It's a stark reminder how much our own perspectives and biases play into how we view the world. And chatting with the flax at, at the taping, I casually said that I was... Thinking about going over the Trump rally, the first reaction they had was genuine fear for my safety. i never seen people I didn't know so passionately urge me to avoid all those people. One woman told me that those people were the lowest of the low. Another man told me that he had gone to one of Trump's rallies in the past and been the target of harassment by large muscle-bound men. Another woman offered me her pepper spray. I assured them all that I thought I'd be fine and that I would get the heck out of Dodge if I got nervous. What they didn't know is that they weren't the only ones I had heard from who were afraid. Some of my more right-leaning friends online expressed genuine fear at going, but not because they were afraid of the attendees. They were afraid of people on the left violently attacking attendees. This one day after a man had run in a car through a Republican voter registration tent in Florida, and there was a genuine fear that there would be a repeat or that Antifa would bust people up from Boston for it. Just as I had assured those on the left, I told them I thought I... I'd be fine because we don't really have Antifa in New Hampshire. But I'm not going to say it didn't get me a bit. 
When everyone around you is nervous for your safety, it's hard not to question if they had a point, but also made me more determined to see it through, because it was a stark reminder of both sides view each other exactly the same way. They're both afraid of the other side and what they're capable of. I couldn't think, couldn't help but think that if they could just see the world through the lens of the other for a moment or two, it would be a stark revelation that they don't know as much as they think they do. It was so different than any other political event I'd ever attended. Even the energy around Barack Obama in 08 didn't feel like this. So I headed over an hour and a half before the doors were scheduled to open, which was four hours before Trump was set to take the stage. And the line already stretched a mile away from the entrance to the arena. As I waited, I chatted with folks around me. And contrary to all my fears expressed, they were nice. They were really nice. I was not harassed or intimidated. I was never in fear of my safety, even for a moment. These were average, everyday people. They were veterans, school teachers, small business owners who had come from all over the place from the thrill of attending this rally. They were upbeat and excited and chatting. I even let it slip that I was a Democrat. The reaction, good for you. Welcome. Once we got inside, the atmosphere was jubilant. I was more like attending a rock concert than a political rally. People were generally enjoying themselves. Some even were dancing to music being played over the loudspeaker. It was so different than any other political event I'd ever attended. Even the energy around Barack Obama didn't feel like this. I'd attended an event with all the Democrat contenders like this. I'd attended an event with Democratic contenders just two days prior. Exactly the same arena. And the contrast was stark. First, Trump completely filled the arena all the way up to the top. Even with every major Democratic candidate in attendance the other night and the campaign giving away free tickets, the Democrats couldn't do that. With Trump, every single person was unified around a singular goal. With the Democrats, the audience booed over candidates they didn't like and got into little shouting matches with each other. With Trump, there was genuine optimistic view of the future. With Democrats, it was doom and gloom. With Trump, there was a genuine feeling of pride about being American. With Democrats, they emphasized that the country was a racist place from the top to bottom. Now Trump is always going to present the best case he can. And yes, he lies. This is provable. But the strength of this rally wasn't about the facts and figures. It was a group of people who felt like they had someone in their corner who would fight for them. Some people say, well, obviously, they're having a great time. They're in a cult. I don't think that's true. The reality is that many people I spoke to disagree with Trump on things. They don't always like his attitude. They wish he wouldn't tweet so much. People who are in cults don't question their leaders. The people I spoke with did, but the pros in their eyes far outweighed the cons. They don't love him because they think he's perfect. They love him despite his flaws because they believe he has their back. As I left the rally, walking past thousands of people who were catching it on a giant monitor outside the arena because they couldn't get in, I knew there was no way Trump would lose November. Absolutely no way. I truly believe it doesn't matter who the Democrats nominate. Trump is going to trounce them. If you don't believe me, attend one of his rallies and see for yourself. Don't worry. They really won't hurt you. Today I voted the New Hampshire Democratic primary for Pete Buttleg. I generally feel that Pete will be great for this country. Maybe he'll have this his opportunity in the future. But tomorrow I'll be changing my voter registration from Democrat to Independent and walking away from the party. I spent the past 20 years in a, in in to sit in the middle for a while. There are extremes in both parties that I am uncomfortable with, but I also fundamentally fundamentally believe that most people on both sides are good, decent human beings who want the best for the country, have dramatic disagreements on how to get there, but still we start seeing each other as human beings. There will be no bridging the divide. 
I refuse to be part of the divisiveness any longer. I refuse to hate people I don't know simply because they choose to vote for someone else. If we're going to heal the country, we have to start taking steps towards one another rather than away. I think the Democrats have an ass-kicking coming to them in November. I think most of them will be utterly shocked when it happens because they're existing in an echo chamber that is not reflective of the broader reality. I hope it wakes up. I hope it's a wake-up call that causes them to take a long look in the mirror and really ask themselves how they got there. Maybe then they'll start listening. I tend to doubt it, but I can hope. That, my friends, is what should have happened years ago after Trump won. That's what the media should have done. But they didn't. They didn't go to those rallies. They went to the rallies like Jim Acosta and threw barbs at people. Called them racist. And their hubris, she's right. If Trump doesn't kill himself and keep fucking up, and they elect one of these far-left moonbats they have going up, he's going to win. And they won't see it coming. Because as we go to our next break and come into news and social media nuggets, they are so arrogant and full of hubris, they don't catch it. They don't understand how out of touch they are. And we're going to hear Joe Biden, who's losing, say Mickey Mouse can win. They believe that. They believe anybody can beat Trump because Trump and his voters are just a cult. They're not what America is. They're a bunch of losers. And that's how Trump got elected. So, Joe Biden... And a soundbite from last podcast, I didn't get to get in there. We were talking about the fetishes and the crazy Indiana University crap. Well, this one is a wrestling fetish. This is some freaky ass shit. Yeah, what we're going to see, though, this is a marathon, man. I, I, I don't think anybody's predicted much of anything uh, about who's going to win uh, nominations in the recent past. Uh, very accurately. You know, James Carville and other Democrats recently have put a finer point on it, saying we cannot nominate Bernie Sanders or we'll lose. He mm-hmm. said this is a, people are not going to vote for socialism. He says, do you agree with that, that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, Democrats will lose? I refuse to suggest any Democrat can lose. I think, uh, you know, we could run Mickey Mouse against this president. And have a shot. Uh, wow. These are guys that want wrestling. They want to be scissored. They want to be put in headlocks. Some of them want to be knocked out by my thighs. Hidden behind hundreds of unassuming terraced London houses is the red padded mat room of the submission room. I've been wrestling for about 10 years. I've had the submission room about five. We offer wrestling sessions. There's a fantastic group of girls that um, are very skilled and strong, and guys come and wrestle them. The guys come for all different sorts of reasons. For some guys, it is a fetish. A lot of the guys come because it's 
really good fun. It's a good way to keep fit. Some of the guys do want to win. Generally, we win. <laughs> the submission room has 23 female wrestlers for men to choose from on their impressive roster. Among them are Pussy Willow and Amethyst Hammerfist. I try and explain it to some of my friends. It's quite difficult for people. They think, oh, so, so do they get off on it and do they orgasm and do, do they want to have sex with you? And I'm like, if they wanted sex, they could go to someone and buy sex for probably a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper. and a lot quicker. You can in fact have sex delivered to your door quicker than a Domino's pizza. Yeah, um, Being a dominatrix privately and professionally and um, sensual misuse and all these sorts of things. So I've come into it from that angle. And I must say, when I found wrestling, I felt like I'd found my true yeah. calling. I'm sure you feel with me on this one. I've always been feisty and aggressive bit too much so when I found the wrestling it, it literally <laughs> saved me because now I have an outlet where every day I, I, I can be feisty and aggressive in a safe place and get paid for it. <sighs> One of the gym's regular clients is council worker Steve. <laughs> I suppose I've been coming back here three four years now something like that. I think wrestling is a great sport Always have done, but I don't want to roll about on the floor with a sweaty bloke. And this is the thing with most guys. They think, look at that, look how sexy that is. Somebody's sitting on his face, that must be so sexy. Do you know what? 0.01 of a second before they sit on your face, it, yes, it is sexy. Once then, you think, I can't breathe. That stops being sexy very quickly. It would frighten the life out of most people if they did it. I'm having trouble breathing now. <laughs> I've always been into sports. Since I've been... Of a kinky guy on the internet, I found out there were there was a wrestling scene, like happening like next door to me in London. Wrestling is kind of fun to me because it is not only to the kinky me, but also to the athlete fit me. That was great. I mean, it's, I actually fought back really, really hard. I don't normally do that, and it makes it a lot more fun. When Pippa had me in a figure four triangle, she had her leg pushing on my carotid artery, and I was actually starting to see stars. My carotid artery, I'm passing out. If I hadn't tapped out, and she kept going, it wouldn't be long until I pass out. You know, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll have a lot of bruises. There's absolutely no type of person that comes. We have young people, old people, rich people, poor people, people that have been into wrestling for years, people that have just discovered it and think that looks fun. Pippa the Ripper says business is growing all the time as more people like Steve find out about the gym. In the near future, she hopes to move into a bigger premises and run live wrestling events. I really don't know what I'd be doing if I hadn't found wrestling. I get a huge kick out of it. I love learning about my body and how I can use it in different ways. In case you're wondering, that's my throat. That's where I breathe through. <laughs> Come on. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. 
If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Lindsey Graham, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I'll play a clip of what he said and then we'll discuss. As much as I support our military people telling the truth when asked, it's important they do. What have I learned in the last two years? CIA agents, Department of State, Department of Justice lawyers, FBI agents have a political agenda and they acted on it. All right, what's your response to that? Yeah, it's like right-wing fantasy talk. Uh, I mean, the, the, the vast majority of um, FBI agents, CIA employees, Department of Justice employees have done nothing but their jobs. And, you know, taking a few text exchange uh, between uh, two FBI employees that the president obsesses about and turning that into a conspiracy of the deep state is just part of the story that you've been talking about with Laura and Andy, that that this is about sending the message that if you deviate from the Trump line on anything, your job is toast. And that's the real message that uh, th- that the president sent with Vindman and and Sondland. That's what uh, Senator Graham is talking about. It's all part of the same story. Are you surprised, Jeffrey, to hear this kind of talk from uh, Senator Lindsey Graham? No, because he's part he's part of the team. And and, uh, you know, it's just so obviously shocking and inappropriate that the next day, these two witnesses who responded to subpoenas and told the truth got fired. I mean, it is just so obviously outrageous. The, The fact that it's being defended at all is really indicative of the hold the president has on his party far more than the ethics of this particular decision, which are so obviously in a wrong. Let me get Andrew McCabe's response. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I completely agree with Jeff. It's absolutely outrageous what has happened to these two Americans who stood up and told the truth under penalty of subpoena uh, that comes along with it. It is um, it's not surprising to see Senator Graham speak in this way, but it's incredibly dispiriting. It is once again watching him completely mischaracterize the results of the several now IG reports that uh, investigations into the way the FBI did their business, both in the Clinton uh, email investigation and in the Russia investigation. Um, it's just uh, it's sickening, but it is a repeated effort to construct the narrative that they prefer to live with. And, and, some, and let's not let's ahead, not man. forget that they also fired Vinman's brother, which is North Korean-style punishment of the whole family, which is particularly nauseating. The media narrative is that everything was hunky-dory until Trump pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, at which point Iran randomly started acting nasty again because they hate Trump. And if it weren't for that bad orange man, orange man, bad, bad orange man, then everything would have been hunky-dory in the Middle East. That ignores the thousands of dead Americans due to Iranian involvement in Iraq, It ignores the hundreds of thousands of dead Muslims in Syria, backed by Soleimani's play in Syria. It ignores the buildup of Hezbollah's military force and the wrecking of Lebanon, which was an Iranian development. It ignores the fact that Iraq has continued to be a roiling sectarian hellhole because of the Iranian involvement in Iraq. It ignores the attacks on Saudi oil facilities. It ignores the consistent monthly attacks, rocket attacks on American bases. It ignores the attacks on shipping against non-American targets in the Strait of Hormuz. And the fact is that the Iranians have been pursuing terrorism for literally decades. 
Military coroner, contract worker on Fort Campbell, files complaint against union over abortion. And this is pretty interesting because her union's all about abortion and she's a Catholic. This made national news, and I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't know about it at all. I live like right, like 10 miles from the gate, the back gate. Didn't, didn't even know it. Plans to extend soldier initial training curtailed an Army budget request. They wanted to extend everything to 22 weeks. So, it looks like armor and infantry are going to go to 22 weeks. So, 8 weeks basic, and then basically 14 weeks of OSIT. Um, They wanted to do it military-wide, but they couldn't afford it. So, now it's just going to be the armor and infantry. So, that's interesting. Excuse my burp. It's official. Troops get another big pay raise in 2021 budget request. Uh, raise for fiscal 2021 in the Defense Department budget request released Monday is 3%, the second highest pay raise since 2010. The 3% raise following 2020's 3.1 ensures that troops will be well compensated under DOD's recognizing that military and civilian personnel are most valuable resources. So that means I'll get a 1.7. So since 2007, uh, 2.2 in January, 0.5 in April 2008 was 3.5, 2009, 3.9, 2010, 3.4, 1.4, 1.6, 1.7, 1, 1, 1.3. Thanks, Obama. 2.4 and 18, 2.6 and 19, 3.1 and 3. So it's going up under Republican rule as it always does, which is awesome. Just a second. I got a picture. It's snowing outside. Woohoo! Sorry. <laughs> that was the clicking. That's actually the sound of a Singar's radio. Bye bye, Bert. Air Force wants to retire 44 A-10s. Despite multiple efforts to push the iconic Warthog retirement date further in the future, the U.S. Air Force is now slated to shelve dozens of Cold War era ground attack planes. The Air Force will remove 44 Thunderbolt toots from its total aircraft. Uh, they're also dumping a shitload of planes, a hundred planes into the boneyard. Air Force uh, manager of that oversee uh, $169 billion, which includes money for U.S. Space Force. Coronary Service budget request documents real Monday, but the Air Force is slated to cut 17 non-nuclear B-1B Lance bombers, reducing the fleet to just 44. It also plans to retire 44 A-10s, 30 older model KC-135 and KC-10 extenders, 24 RQ-4 Global Hawk drones, some which are used as networking battlefield airborne communication, as well as 24C-130H Hercules, the most senior models left in the cargo inventory. While the service's stresses need to boost the readiness and mission capability, total pilot flight hours, including those supporting warfighting overseas, will decrease from 1.33 million to 1.24. The Air Force will also reduce the number of combat air patrols flown by the MQ-9 Reaper around the world from 70 to 60. This is so they can invest more money into other projects like the uh, F-15EX, a hybrid aircraft that will replace older F-15Cs. Other replacements include the new MH-139 helicopter set to replace the aging UH-1H, which... 
they should not be flying. No, that helicopter should not be flying. Only one in four soldiers likely to see the Army's newest rifles in the coming year. Textron prototype, Six Sour prototype, and General Dynamics prototype. They're pretty fucking high speed. Over the next five years, the Army plans to buy a mix of more than 120,000 new light machine guns and rifles built around new ammunition to replace the, both the M4 carbine and the M249. This is the 6.8 millimeter rifle, but only about one in four will see it. So maybe some 82nd guys might, maybe some 101st, but probably not. SOCOM's looking for new optics for its crew serve weapons for the Mod Deuce and the M240 Bravo. And lastly, Navy SEAL found guilty in nude photo scheme. Sentenced to a month in the brig. And I'm asking you, Navy Marines, what the fuck? Go to Pornhub or something. Jesus Christ. You guys are fucking morons. Anyway, to our college. Crazy. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. so much lies and hatred to a room full of people and so I got up after and I had a question and I was literally silenced by the entire room I asked a simple question I said I believe that peace comes through education and how are you influencing or trying to pave the road for peace when you teach the next generation hatred to kill Jews you strap bombs on the children how are you doing this how are you expecting the next generation to have peace? And right when I got up, a grown man, my father's age, came and he put his hands on me. He tried taking the mic from me. He pushed me. He called me a slut. Another woman said, get her out of here. They tried kicking me out. They said, get her kicked out of this club. I said, no, I earned my way here. I got my master's degree at Harvard. You're not going to kick me out for simply asking a question. The entire room tried to silence me. Everyone was against me. All I had was a simple question, and it took seven minutes to get the question across because every time I was talking, they kept booing me. So, apparently, one side is very hateful. The other one is looking for answers and for solutions, and I'm sure you can figure out who which side is. I think it's very sad that in a free country, you're not allowed to, to have free speech. In a free country... And that's the route we're going, and, and that is extremely sad because where do we go from here? Maybe we move to meet Israel. Alright, for the record, this girl's a fucking moon bat. She was doing, like, yoga and ohm before she started talking. Really weird. The elite Harvard club is under fire as an incident allegedly occurred last year as reportedly involved a lawsuit. Citing court papers, New York Post reports that Vanessa Levine, a Harvard alumni, is suing the Harvard club after she says she was assaulted by a Harvard professor during a 2019 speaking event. So, we'll, we'll see. Levine asked how there could be peace with Palestine. We're instructed to support terrorism against Jews in Israel. How are you expecting the next generation to have peace, she asked. 
According to court papers obtained by New York Post, the audience immediately began vocally attacking Levine. And there it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Blue on blue crime. Surprised I didn't make the media, though, because she is a woman. But she was, yeah, she's not woke enough to get. This Valentine's Day, UCLA promotes sex squad performance. What the fuck is going on in college? UCLA celebrated Valentine's Day early on Wednesday with a sex squad theater troupe and a condom couture expert. What the fuck is that? Jesus. The Fowler Museum at UCLA hosted the Valentine's Day theme open mic night featuring condom culture artist Adriana Bertini and the UCLA (laughs) squad event. The event will include a month-long presentation of Through Positive Eyes, a sprawling photography display created by more than 100 people living with HIV and AIDS. Yeah, that's a romantic thing. People with AIDS. Most of them gay. That's what I want to see. Organized by UCLA World Arts and Culture Dance Department, the night promises food, drinks, and music while speakers share stories of art and activism. One prominent guest slated to speak, Brazilian artist Bertini, turns expired and defective condoms into clothing pieces. I want my art to be visible everywhere, reminding people of the necessity of HIV prevention. I prefer working more with the figurines because I notice that they make people think about the meaning of wear against AIDS. Also featured the event will be UCLA Sex Squad, which will be showing off one of its newest performances. The squad describes itself as a group that uses humor, theater, and storytelling to open up urgent conversations on taboo topics around sex and aims to creatively and inclusively shift the stigmatized culture around sexual health that exists in our world today. As a group, they choose the most significant topic on which to focus their art making. Their website explains. The squad spends... I'm doing this all with a smile on my face. Sorry, can't help it. The squad spends a fall creating engaging and interactive skits, poems, songs, dances, and any form of performance art you can imagine. We believe in inclusivity. The group further explains and pushes back against heteronormative and patriarchal approaches that affect the LGBTQ, EIEIO, and female-identified community, as well as other marginalized populations. We embody a philosophy of collaboration over... Individual genius channeling the power of the collective. We view human beings as innately artistic and aim in our creative process to express rather than impress. I will not be RSVPing that event. Just can't do it. Nevada school bands together to offer free legal service to legal immigrants. Just going to read the topic every time it comes up. We're just, what? It's an election year. Can't you lie? Can't you just say we care more about people in trailer parks in Kentucky than you do illegals? Can't you just lie to get elected? I mean, fuck. Cal State School gives special treatment to crimes against abortion providers. All California State University campuses will now have a special qualification for crimes committed against abortion providers. Any crimes committed against these organizations or individuals will now be billed as reproductive rights crimes. What the fuck is that? According to Cal State Long Beach newspaper, the Daily 49er, the university police will begin to classify these specific crimes in response to a new California law, Senate Bill 24. Senate Bill 24 mandates that all California State University campuses provide access to abortion via medication, which will become available to students in 2023. The bill was signed into law by Newsom, a piece of shit, in 2019. 
In concert with providing mandated access to abortion medication in 2023, university police link classifying crimes against abortion providers on campus as reproductive rights crimes. As of right now, even though violence or other crimes might have been or currently are being committed, the crimes are not considered to be more egregious for being committed against abortion providers. In order to qualify as a reproductive rights crime, it has to be a crime that occurs against a facility or healthcare provider is providing reproductive rights services, says Greg Prescal. And because the university did not provide those services, and once the health center starts providing those, then it's a possibility. Each California State University campus police department is dedicated to maintaining a safe environment for all students, but we're going to worry more about this because we don't want to get canceled. Later on in the article, Hare said, for example, there have been several cases within the last 10 years where husbands or boyfriends have slipped Mifeprestone and Mistpropodol, the same abortion fascia drugs that were offered on campus into women's food or drink, and induce the abortion of their unborn child without their consent. Will these forced abortions be classified as reproductive rights crime as well? Herring says that while... She understands the desire of the police to take precautions. She and fellow pro-life students on campus vehemently oppose violence against anybody in the name of opposing abortion. However, the UPD anticipated the bill won't go over quietly. To quote communications supervisor Greg Pascal plays on the false assumption that pro-lifers as a whole are violent, intolerant fanatics. This type of polarization only widens the divide between those who identify as pro-life and those who identify as pro-choice and make bro productive dialogue more difficult it will become a crime pretty soon to pray by abortion clinic in california that's probably why this law is being done emotional harm professor store cancer research fund to pay his mortgage jeffrey gurnham from stony brooks university took seventy-eight thousand dollars of a grant and paid for his house that's a good dude that's just a good dude. Uh, and then, finally, Ohio State Amir Rep. Jason Wint charged with rape and kidnapping. Ohio State senior quarterback Amir Rip and redshirt senior linebacker safety Jason Wint were charged with rape and kidnapping by Columbus police on Tuesday. Both men were arrested and booked in Franklin County Jail early Wednesday morning. Charges of first-degree felonies and arraignment are charges are scheduled for Thursday morning. Uh, Went, according to the complaint, physically held the victim by the face and prevented the victim from getting away or getting his penis out of her mouth. They were both allowed to play in the playoffs because that's what Ohio State does. And why am I whiny? We had a great quarterback back in the day. He stole a laptop. He got shit canned. Ended up at Southern Miss. There is no repercussions for bad conduct in these big programs. It's kind of sad. Let's go to gay shit. Here's an all-American female wrestler who I can't stand, but she wrestles females, so that's cool. She's not one of those I force it on everybody else. Her take on transgender athletes. She's a person of color, too, and she ain't for that shit. Hey, 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 oh, oh, oh. Lil Pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit. 
As a female wrestler, I've wrestled both men and women. I can attest to the biological difference. Wrestling men is a whole different game. My sophomore year, I was wrestling a senior. The ending score was like nine to seven or something really close and I threw up immediately after. But I won. The guy looked really sad at the end. It was like one of his last matches and he lost to a girl that was younger than him. I'm Olivia Rondo and I started wrestling on the boys team in high school. At first, it was really tough. During my freshman year, I won my first match, then lost all of the others because of my inexperience and the strength difference. I didn't want to go through those losses again, so during the offseason, I worked 10 times as hard, competed in national tournaments, and got mentally and physically stronger. That next year, I went on a winning streak and even wrestled on varsity. Because I was forced to adapt to wrestling with a biological disadvantage, I went on to dominate the women's arena. I became a three-time state champion, six-time All-American, and three-time national champion. I was also part of the 2017 Olympic development team. For college, I was recruited to a women's team with the expectation that I would be only competing against other biological women. That is what I believe to be fair. Very few women can hold their own against men in combat sports. I've only been able to do so with my experience and work ethic. In 2020, now we have to deal with biological men in women's sports. Biologically male MMA fighter Fallon Fox fractured their opponent's skull during a fight. But that was not what was going on here. What was going on here was this woman, who used to be a man for 32 years, transitioned to being a woman and it didn't tell anybody. Mm. And yeah. fought two different women yeah. who thought they were fighting a woman mm -hmm. and got fucking smashed. Badly injured, yeah. Well, I was watching it. It was like watching a man fight a woman. Mm -hmm. That's what I was watching. I was like, this isn't like particularly, she wasn't particularly skillful. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like she had like some uh, unbelievable background in judo, like Ronda Rousey or something like that. It wasn't that. Mm -hmm. You were just w literally watching a former man beat up women. Mm -hmm. Australian handball player Hannah Mounty stands at six foot two and weighs in at 220 pounds. The videos speak for themselves. Hannah Mounty should have been a shoe in to play at the elite level of the women's Aussie rules competition. But late last year, the AFL said no, deciding she was too much of a physical threat to her opponents. Mary Gregory smashed four women's world records in weightlifting. Well, some congratulations are in order tonight for powerlifter Mary Gregory. Gregory just competed at a 100% raw powerlifting tournament. Gregory competed in nine events and won all nine of them, setting four records in the process. That was a triumph of the human spirit. Even while transitioning, estrogen will not change someone's height, arm span, lung capacity, or bone structure. It will not erase all of their male strength. Does this sound fair? It's becoming a real safety and equality issue for real female athletes, yet we are expected to be okay with it, all in the name of diversity. The original American feminists fought hard to get separate spaces for women to compete against each other, and now the left is erasing that progress. Nothing is equal about biological men invading women's spaces. And she hits the nail on the head. Officer told to tone down Gaynor settles lawsuit for $10.25 million. Clayton, Missouri. St. Louis County has agreed to $10.25 million settlement with a gay police lieutenant who said he was passed over for promotion 23 times and was told to tone down his gayness. I looked into this article. 
yeah, it's horse shit. They paid him off just to make him go away. That's that's what it was. It wasn't that it was culpability or they admitted anything. It was just that, you know, yeah, we don't need this shit with fucking all the race problems in Missouri. Let's be honest. Yeah, they probably don't want that. New Pope agrees upgrade the Bible to scrap pointless taboo of gay marriage. That This show, I think they just do shows like this to dog Christianity. And to get clickbait. I mean, that's what they do. And I don't have HBO. I did re-engage. Um, I re-engaged Netflix, which I really didn't want to, but uh, Narcos is really good. So we engaged for a month, and then we'll shut it off, and then we'll re-engage when our shows come on. Um, it, it's... It's what it always is. You 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 log in and and there's just nothing but bullshit that's pretty much anti-conservative, left-leaning or right-leaning people, thruples and crap. Hell, hold! I, I can't get the article. I'm hoping I have it for next podcast. But HGTV had a thruples. I mean, what the fuck? Why is everything gonna be counterculture, inappropriate, lacking morals? I don't get it, but. I'm not going to read it. It's in there. They just say, let's scrap it. Let's just fuck the Bible. You know, it was written, but it doesn't mean anything. We make the new stuff now. I can still be a religious person and hate God and every, every tenant in there because of Trump or something. Two, everything's racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us POCs uncomfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days and frankly there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at and there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you. You know that's some racist ass shit right there but because she's an African American she can do it. It's all over Twitter and everybody, white people, the whole nine yards. Oh, just virtue signaling. She's right. HBSC. Oh, we need to not have white people there. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the school needs money. They've realized you can't just have traditionally black. You can't have traditionally women. You can't traditionally male anymore. It doesn't work that way. But that's some racist ass shit. Then there's this. Clown world. Twitter thread of white people getting their ass beat for Black History Month receives over 335,000 likes, despite being a clear violation of Twitter's policy on glorification of violence. So we're going to click on it. Um, yes. Summit News. Oh, you're fucking killing me. Hold on a second. Microsoft's like being a dick. It won't let me go into the site, so let me just do it this way. Summit News. 
Uh, here's the article. Uh, thread of racists getting their ass beat for Black History Month. Uh, the thread features white people being violently attacked. In some cases, the confrontations are provoked by alleged allegations of racism, but other examples just appear a random fight. Uh, they show this white girl about to get her ass kicked. The user posted the thread, Nam Genie, locked down their account shortly before the article was published, meaning the thread is no longer visible. Twitter has failed to remove the thread or take any action against the user for posted despite its being clear violation of glorification of violence policy. We also prohibit the glorification of violence, glorifying violent acts, blah, blah, blah. The rule specifies that glorification of violence against a specific race is prohibited. Videos glorifying and encouraging violence, blah, 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 blah. Video glorifying and encouraged violence will be quickly removed by Twitter, unless they're black people assaulting white people. Yeah. So, that's, that's, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, slavery and shit, and, and um, American Indians, and America's bad, and stuff. It always seems to rule the day, you know? It's, it's always these fucking... It happened a long time ago, but you're bad anyway. UMass invites professor to help disrupt the whiteness in us. The University of Massachusetts Amherst will host a lecture on Tuesday in which students are asked to disrupt the whiteness in them. According to the event calendar, Dr. M. Rabilius will host a lecture titled, Listening Outside of Whiteness, Make Our Bodies Matter. For the Spring 2020 College of Nursing Seminar Series, the lecture will discuss health and health care in a contested political state centered within the oppressions of whiteness and, more accurately, white supremacy. Rebellus argues that whiteness is a commanding force in politics, including the health care system. Health professionals and researchers only obtain their positions because they complied with whiteness. He, ref- he coined the phrase, whiteness in us, to describe this phenom- phenomenon, in order to combat this whiteness, Rabelais suggests that students, patients, and professionals are the, use a spoken word to voice their opposition. Coroner Ballas, the spoken word is an oppositional art intended for performance and frequently embodies issues such as social and racial justice, the personal as political, in response to normative whiteness, misunderstandings of the body. The spoken word of Coroner Ballas offers a starting point to ask difficult questions about the Influence of whiteness. Rebellus has organized Decolonizing Your Syllabus workshops at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Rebellus' current area of research include the analysis of nursing policies and standards that value whiteness with student-led sub-projects and ableism and racism. This research is aimed at identifying the manifestation of whiteness followed by providing clear and tangible changes to eliminate whiteness from professional policy, educational priorities, and ethical codes. Yeah. He's a good dude. But that's the left. I found this. It was in my Twitter feed. Scott Feinberg, indigenous New Zealander of Jewish descent, Taika Wadi wins Best Adaptive Screenplay, for his Holocaust satire, Jojo Rabbit. That's how they classify people. It's how many check marks on the intersectionality snow card, intersectionality scorecard. And to make things even worse, that motherfucker made it because he said there's so many race uh, Nazis running around. That's, that's what he says. Nazis. Just running around. Let me see if I can find the exact one. I put it in the wrong spot. Um, 
where the fuck is it? Jewish group says a senior writer. Jojo Rabbit. Okay. Taki revealed that skeptical Jojo viewers weren't far off at saying he was bashing modern politics, telling the Oscar press pool after the win that much of the reason he made the movie was because Nazis are still running around like they didn't learn their lesson in 1945. Yeah, making the film was sort of response to resurgence of hate and intolerance and hate speech. Well, when hate speech in Hollywood definition includes disagreeing with anyone on open borders, LGBTQ mission issues, and denying that Russia's in charge of the United States, it's hard to take that claim seriously. He claimed, here's the thing, and in the war there was a very clear rule. If you're a Nazi, you went to jail. Well, that's a simplified version, but we get the point. He concluded, now the rules have changed a bit. If you're a Nazi, feel free to have a rally down in town square and you can invite all your mates so something changed and something is not right. Yeah. That's Hollywood. But that's how they classify people. Everybody's classified by your group. And maybe we're just jealous because we're just white people. You know, I'm, I'm a bunch of things. So maybe that's what it's about. It's jealousy. I want a classification. Well... Benjamin, oh, wait a minute. Colin Kaepernick allegedly wanted $20 million to play in the XFL, even though most of them make under five hundred k. That's why he's not playing in the XFL. He doesn't want to play. The only thing he wants to play is social justice. Benjamin Dixon. Here is our Bloomberg thing. Okay, you're going to hear, stop and frisk, you're going to hear him talk about trans people. Then you're going to hear from Jonathan Chait. Bloomberg is also going to have to answer for his treatment of women from the Atlantic. What is not fully addressed in Times article ever is what is not fully explored in many similar pieces to consider the current iteration of Mike Bloomberg's presidential ambition. There's a series of stories about him accumulating over the decades that suggests the aggregate, a distinct pattern where it comes to his treatment of women. Reports of disparaging comments made about women's bodies and appearances. Allegations of deeply sexist work environment at the company that Bloomberg founded and for many years ran. Stories that linger like exhaust in the air every time Mike Bloomberg is mentioned as potentially next president. The stories about Mike Bloomberg, though, stories told through lawsuits and journalistic accounts that involve allegations not of physical abuse but of more insidious, insidious manifestation of misogyny ask broader questions about the way electoral politics and basic morality continue to tangle with each other during Me Too. Dr. Squishy says it. Bloomberg was not vetted. The MSM needs to vet him. Pros. Somebody said he was vetted. Pros. Hates Trump. Has money to spend. Hire strong, strong talent. Cons. Everything else. If for some way... He can win, and he's a backup Biden right now in this shit show clown car, the clown car they're calling a fucking primary. They'll back him, and that's why you're not hearing these sound bites. Ninety-five percent of the murders, murderers, and murder victims fit one of them. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, fifteen to twenty-five. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. 
she's going to be one of them. Spend the money for a lot of cops in the street. Put those cops where the crime is, which means in the minority neighborhood. So it's one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the, the way you get the guns out of your kids' hands is uh, to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that, I don't want to get caught, so they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. If you want to know, is somebody a good salesman? Give them the job of going to the Midwest and picking a town and selling to that town the concept that some man wearing a dress should be in a locker room with their daughter. If you can sell that, you can sell anything. I mean, they just look at you and they say, what on earth are you talking? Some people say, well, taxes are regressive, but in this case, Yes, they are. That's the good thing about them, because the problem is in people that don't have a lot of money. And so higher taxes should have a bigger impact on their behavior and how they deal with themselves. So I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. And that's what, why you do want to do exactly what a lot of people say you don't want to do. The question is, do you want to pander to those people or do you want to get them to live longer? And there's just no question. If you raise taxes on full sugary drinks, for example, they will drink less. And there's just no question that full sugar drinks are one of the major contributors to obesity. And obesity is one of the major contributors to heart disease and cancer and a variety of other things. Mm. So it's like saying, I don't want to stop using coal because coal miners will go out of work. Well, will lose their jobs. We have a lot of soldiers in the United States, in the U.S. Army, but we don't want to go start a war just to give them something to do. And that's exactly what you're saying when you say, well, let's keep coal killing people because we don't want coal miners to lose their jobs. The truth of the matter is there aren't very many coal miners left anyways, and we can find other things for them to do. But the comparison is a life or a job or taxes or life. Which do you want to do? Take your poison. So it's regressive. It is good. There are lots of tax experts in the room and fiscal experts, and I'm very pleased that they hear you say that. And they all say the two things in life which are absolutely certain. One is death, the other one is tax. So you use one to defer the other one. That's correct. Okay. That is exactly right. Well said. Yeah. You said. No, you said. As stated when I hinted it in the beginning, folks, and I hate to play it multiple times, the reality is... This is a 47% moment. And if by the next podcast, which will be Wednesday next week, going to wait and kind of slow down the pod. I've been putting out too much doggone content, to be quite honest. It's a lot of shit. Um, the 19th will be our next podcast. If we're not hearing it become the 47%, it just proves my point. The 47% was 47% because Mitt Romney had an R behind his name. But when it's a Democrat, well, is it really racist? Eh, we don't know. 
Here was an ad that literally came out, and I'm not going to read the article. To fight the 1619 Project lies, take the free U.S. history class. It's rapidly spreading false ideas. It's all false. They list all the things that are wrong with it, which is really big. Truth includes good, bad, both good and bad, and you could do it if you wanted to. They even did a billboard facing real Donald Trump rally. Jennifer Horn reports it, and the fucking thing, that you can't even read it. They're so into trying to push America's a horrible place, and we're all racist, and then they just make shit up. The problem is, schools are teaching this in New York. They would teach anything the left-handed them, because they're all lefties. So, that that's kind of troubling, but here's their ad. In August 1619, a ship appeared on this horizon near Point Comfort, Virginia. It carried more than 20 enslaved Africans who were sold to the colonists. No aspect of the country we know today has been untouched by the slavery that followed. America was not yet America, but this was the moment it began. Sometimes it's because they're really trying to be British. As I segue to Mayor of London. I'm proud to unveil Nubian skin as the winner of this year's TFL diversity and advertising competition. Look out for their empowering inclusive adverts and TFL network. Um, and these are responses. We know that London is in England, which is a completely different country, but checking in on Wikipedia tells us that they do in fact speak the same language as we do here. And the U.S. of A. So does the word diversity mean something else, like the way Bumbershoot does over there? HRH Dave Martin. Not much diversity in that billboard. No white people. Just so I understand how are posters of Nubian skin inclusive of those who aren't Nubian. Serious question from a Londoner, so please answer. And they didn't. It's all black people. That's their new campaign. Because white people are bad. I mean, they were the slave traders, so let's be honest. You know, the British were the slave traders, so, yeah. Jewish group demand Austin at South by Southwest Music Festival pull anti-Semitic Roger Waters. Because he's for BDS. And that kind of surprised me. Didn't know he was. ESPN senior writer stokes race issues in new book. Radical ESPN senior writer Howard Bryan has released another book of political essays, including American Sports is Overtly Political One, where African Americans must navigate a sharp edge of whiteness. Released last month, Full Dissidence, notes from an uneven playing field, the heritage, black athletes, and divided America, the politics of patriotism is his other book. Not surprisingly, Bryant's latest race-baiting condemnation of America's post sports is attracting attention from media who speak left-wing language. NPR and MSNBC and The Nation of all love this thing. 
They described his latest tripe this way. Whether the issues are protest, labor, patriotism, or class division, it is clear that professional sports are no longer simply fun and games. Rather, the industry is a hotbed of fractures and inequities that reflect and even drive some of the most divisive issues in the country. The book is a reflection on culture where African Americans continue to navigate the sharp edges of whiteness as citizens who are always at risk of being told, often directly from the White House, to go back from where they came from. Bryant criticizes the player-owner relationship. The militarization of sports, the myth of integration, the erasure of black identity as a condition of success, and the kleptocracy that forced Americans to ask itself if its beliefs of freedom and democracy are more than just words. You go, fucking liberals. Love that shit. Good for you. Yeah. Let's go to liberal shit. down you're the next contestant on liberal shit i think we have to get back to the point where no one is suggesting that we be celebrating an abortion at any point um, in the pregnancy that there was a time in democratic circles where we used to talk about it being something that like you don't like to see but that should be within the freedoms of, of the woman and the mother to decide and so to me i think there is a really important tone to set on this where you don't just say like we're absolutist about it though i have to say i am relatively absolutist on this like i think that it should be completely up to the woman and her doctor and the state should not be intervening all the way uh through pregnancy but it's a tragedy to me if someone decides that they don't want to have a, a, a child and they're on the fence and that maybe at some point later, I mean, it's a very, very difficult personal decision. Um, and it should be something that we're very, very sensitive to. I think that celebrating children, family, like these are universal human values. And if we manage to lead on that and then say, but we also stand for women's reproductive rights, I believe we can bring Americans closer together on a really, really important personal issue. I didn't play it on the show. It's a good soundbite, but he's still for, you know, abortion to college, so it wasn't like a great soundbite. But you know the left couldn't let that go. No, 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 no. Are you fucking crazy? CNN, opinion. Jeff Yang thought that was an outrageous claim and tweeted that nobody celebrates abortion. Where's he been? Lisa 42067. A woman. A woman of color. 
What the hell rock have you been living under? Some little girl just this weekend did a video montage with her mother, no less, to the song Perfect Day, celebrating and having a great celebration for abortion. In January, a book came out in celebration of the hashtag about your abortion. Michelle Williams' glowing speech about abortion giving credit where credit is due, barf. And who could ever forget Michelle Wolf, Wolf and her grand, groundbreaking performances salute to abortion. Miley Cyrus licked a cake about abortion. Abortion has been so romanticized and celebrated that people are mourning their missed opportunities and never having one. Lena Dunham. So you have missed out on this horror show of their party. You're indeed living under a rock or you're just willfully ignoring that it's right in your face because they are in your face with this ghoulish and murderous horror every single day. Shoutyourabortion.com The cover that we've read straight from. World Trade Center lit up pink when late-term abortion was legalized. Shout your abortion hashtags on Twitter. I just saw a clip there on Twitter yesterday of a girl saying she was going to find out her baby's gender. Aborted. We played it as our This is America. Yeah. And as stated, they just had a funeral for the 2,411 entrants, uh, infants found at abortion at Ulrich Coffer's home that just like the last evil, evil, evil abortionist, the media just ignored. Sizes and varying uh, uh, estimates. Um, I would not be in a position to get into that in particular. Uh, there certainly were some indications that some of the... Um, that some of the remains would have been outside the appropriate standard. Um, uh, but those are all things that are still being considered. What, does that, mean, what does that mean, outside the appropriate standard? Uh, uh, the outside the standard of, of when it would be appropriate for um, someone to seek an abortion or still qualify for an abortion under the uh, legal standard. Are you saying late-term abortion? Yes. What's or, different? Well, on not late-term or, or beyond the first trimester. On the timeline of 2000 to 2003, What's the speculation that why just those years, what happened between abortions between 2003 and 2016? Was there any records of other, how, how they uh, took care of the remains at that point or well, prior to that? Well, uh, we had 30,000 abortions. We, we don't, we're not speculating to anything in terms of what happened between. That's the information we have. For some reason, we have uh, a discovery that includes uh, some fetal remains that were from a particular period. That's our second Gosnell in two decades. Media didn't even cover it. Then there's these great little winner, winner, chicken dinner, fucking garbage, fucking fire people. Ohio woman takes abortion pills. They cause labor but fail to kill the baby who's born alive at 28 weeks. Woman and boyfriend provide no care, seek no medical help, child dies. Full story. Heath couple indicted on involuntary manslaughter charged for allegedly terminating pregnancy. A man and woman has been indicted on charges they allegedly terminated woman's pregnancy by taking medication they ordered from India, after which they allegedly hid the baby's corpse in a shoebox. Kalina V.E. Gillum and Bradley C. Mill have been indicted on one count each of involuntary manslaughter, child endangerment, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. The couple appeared via video monitor in Licking County Court Monday. According to Licking County Prosecutor William Hayes, Gillum took 12 misoprostol tablets. 
she and Mole ordered from India with the intention to induce labor and terminate Gilliam's pregnancy. Hayes wrote in a press release, Gilliam was in her third trimester, 28, 29 weeks at the time. According to Hayes, Gilliam gave birth to a male child in the bathroom of the apartment she shared with Mole, and no time did either one of them ever call 911 or seek emergency medical treatment for the child. The following day, Gillum and Mole went to Licking Memorial Hospital, at which point medical staff contacted law enforcement. Law enforcement responded to both the hospital and their apartment. According to Hayes, officers of the apartment discovered the baby's body inside a shoebox inside a trash bag. Officers collected evidence from the home, which Hayes says shows that they both jointly planned to purchase the pills and terminate the presidency. That's what you have wrought progressives there's a baby at 28 weeks which you say is not a baby but it lived they just let it die that's the lack of care for human life that you beseech us all to live by and if we don't we're racist sexist that's what you say to climate okay Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action and we need it to happen. How dare you? You, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies at night and night. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? And if we can win, and if we it's can like win that democratic happened, for them, it'll be tens great. Tens of millions of people have died and you haven't noticed. Where has your economic model ever worked? Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. Andrew Bolt, a socialist climate activist. Where has your economic model ever worked? Climate activist? Nada. But they are so fucking into this shit. This is an actual article on Bloomberg. Kim Jong-un's ski resort ambition in North Korea are melting. Climate change and the coronavirus are threatening Kim Jong-un's ambition to ski his way out of international sanctions. They tweeted that. That that was a tweet. That's how I found it. I mean, what the fuck? Then, they actually didn't get with Greta Thunberg or AOC, and Vox put this out. You don't have to limit the number of children you have because of climate change, a new study finds. In fact, the joy and hope that children bring could help motivate us to keep pushing for the change we need. Replies on that is, well, you should only do if you can afford it. Don't do too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what they did. BBC to produce TV series about Greta Thunberg's life. The BBC will produce a series of 17-year-old climate activists, studio science, 
unit announced Monday. The series will follow its Greta International Crusade, which takes to the front line of climate change in some of the most extraordinary places on Earth. As she explores the action, could be, be taken to limit climate change. Anna James Zeigler sums it up. Every time I see it advertised, I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and take unnecessary trips in my car. <laughs> all right, then we close out with some odds and ends. It should have been under liberal chip, but I got it all late, so it went after climate. So this is all confusing. I play the bumper again, but you got the deal. It's all a clusterfuck. Natalie Portman wears dress embroidered with names of snub female directors. And then Rose McGowan attacks her. Yeah. Let me see what she said. Following the award show, McGowan called Natalie Portman a fraud for wearing a Dior dress embroidered with the names of female directors who weren't nominated at the Oscars. Of course, Natalie told flattering journals it was part of her crusade to bring awareness to sexism in the movie industry. McGowan blasted her via Facebook for paying more lip service to women. What is it with actresses of your ilk? You A-listers could change the world if you take a stand instead of being a problem. Yes, you, Natalie. You're the problem. Lip service is the problem. Fake support of other women is the problem. And symbolically, she missed the key point that she doesn't demand female directors. She could be under female directors, but she doesn't. She takes any job that can make her look good. So it's just all a shit show. But of course, that's not what she's going to say because that lady's a fucking moon bat. Then you got Anna Presley. This Somebody fucking elected this to Congress. The great poet and pioneer of righteous rage, Ardra Lord, once said, quote, I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when our shackles are different from are very different from my own end quote the year is now 2020 and here we women are still in so many ways not fully free still shackled today i rise to affirm the humanity and the dignity of all women i rise in strong unapologetic righteous support of hj res 79 which will strike the arbitrary deadline for ratification of the equal rights amendment an amendment that should already be the law of the land. Women are strong, hardworking, bright, and resilient. We are the backbones of our families, our communities, and our democracy. We do not live in checked boxes. We live in an intersectionality of lived experiences and identities. Our issues are everyone's issues because our destinies are all tied. Tomorrow's vote on H.J. Res. 79 is a vote for the preservation of our collective humanity. Despite our commitment to hard work, both within our households and on the job, we are still paid less than our male counterparts. In the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, women are paid 83 cents for every dollar paid to a man. But nationally, women are paid only 80 cents for every dollar a man is paid. Even worse, the modern-day wage gap disproportionately impacts women of color, with black women earning 61 cents, native women earning 58 cents, Latinx women earning only 53 cents, and AAPI women making as little as 50 cents per dollar paid to a white man. In addition to pay discrimination, we face pregnancy discrimination, discrimination in the criminal legal system, sexual and domestic violence, and inadequate health care access. 
But this isn't an accident. The American Constitution is sexist by its very design. This country's laws have historically treated us like second-class citizens, depriving us of the right to vote, enter most jobs, and to own property. While some of these injustices may cease to exist, we still face tremendous barriers to our full participation in society. With tomorrow's vote, we have an opportunity to right this country's wrong and attack... Shackles? Attack lizard. Imagine taking this to heart. I have no choice but tell my three daughters that they have no reason to even try. It's either stupid or lying. Keep playing that victim card so you can be a lifetime nanny for those looking for free shit without effort. Hard-working, blue-collar people of all identities are working hard to prosper, while your lack of leadership only creates depression. Your time in politics will be short, says a woman who is serving us in Congress, says that women that want to oppress to keep in power. Do not be fooled. She's a Democrat. 56% of college students are women. 50.5% of medical students are women. Already 51% of law students are women. Shackled by what? What? What are you oppressed with? Because there is no race or a gender. That's what you say. There's no gender. But then you want us to treat you differently. I don't get it. Jennifer Lopez hits back at critics who think her Super Bowl performance was too sexy. That's the kind of shit. I think that's honestly silly, she said. Regular old criticism is sexist, is what you say. And you want to be taken seriously. You want to bring back the ERA. I mean, really? To Twitter. Twitter allows terrorist recruitment how-to to be online. It's a video. It's there. But in the UK, the fucking police are monitoring social media. Duty of care, which requires companies to take responsible steps to keep their users safe and tackle illegal illegal and harmful activities to their service. Forbes wrote that Digital Media and Cultural Secretary Nikki Morgan is introducing measures based on a government white paper launched in April. The duty care concept is mentioned in its pages no less than 53 times. So now if you say something online... It's just going to be like that crazy shit we saw before. So we have all that going on. And then you have Samantha B doing what the left's doing now. It was Ben Shapiro. Now it's Prager U. While Fox continues its lifelong quest to scare your grandparents into hoarding Franklin Mint coins, one growing conservative outlet is using colorful graphics and social media to appeal to a new generation. But don't worry, their videos are very normal. Murder. Is murder wrong? Is it evil? How do you know? Liberals, the research tells us, are generally more outgoing, more likely to try new stuff. They're open to new ideas, though not school choice or flat taxes or a market-based health care reform. I want fairness generally means, look at me, I'm a nice person. The left is destroying the Boy Scouts. The power of the visual to excite men has no analog in women. Oh, honey, no, that's not women. That's just you. Are you an activist? Yes, four-year-olds. Also, what is this supposed to be about transgender rights? The baby's not choosing their own gender. The indoctrination does not just start in college. It does not just start in high school. It starts when kids are four to eight years old. That's 
bad, but the worst part is that he thinks this baby board book is for eight-year-olds. I guess for Will Witt, Goosebumps is his infinite jest. Just keep plugging away, buddy. You'll finish it one day. So we got money going to the Young Turks, and you guys are just freaked out that a conservative group, which gets almost 10 million looks, is ruining society? Makes sense, because then you got you find this one. CBC London. Does Paw Patrol encourage our kids to embrace capitalism? This report comes out of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I'm sorry, this was Canada. In London, Ontario, and features the views of criminology professor Liam Kennedy. He has now internalized my feelings about the series and knows that we don't, in fact, watch Paw Patrol in our house, said King's University College professor in an interview with London's Morning Rebecca Zamberger. Kennedy takes issue with Paw Patrols as a kind of stand-in for government-funded police force. I would argue that Paw Patrol as a private corporation is used to help provide basic social services in the Adventure Bay community. That's problematic is that the Paw Patrol creators are sending the message that we can't depend on the state to provide services. I just think that's that as time goes on, children might be less likely to critique the capitalist system that causes environmental harm in the first place and reproduces inequity. Yeah. And cartoons. They just they get wrapped up in cartoons. Here is uh Dana Schwartz. In retrospect, it seems impossible to overstate the cultural damage done by South Park. The show that portrays earnestness as the only sin and taught that mockery is the ultimate inoculation against all criticism. Smugness is not the same as intelligent. Provocation isn't the same as bravery. The lesser of two evils aren't the same. Pretty rich coming from someone whose political comrades frequently try to pass off smugness as intelligent and provocation as bravery. A whole article. She wrote an article about how it's ruining us. South Park. It's still 2016, apparently. User handle. In retrospect, it seems impossible to overstate the cultural damage done by The Daily Show, the show that portrayed Jon Stewart as somebody who knew everything about everything and taught that editing interviews to make people look stupid was the right thing to do. The cultural damage inflicted by South Park is, of course, impossible to overstate, but fortunately, we still have responsible progressive comedy to get us through these dark times. The Late Show. If you're rearranging the letters in the name of Donald Trump, here's what you get. Nobody asked, for example, the cultural damage done by the basic cable cartoon show. She doesn't know. I'm upset that the cartoon was singing Christmas poop, didn't propose real solutions for political problems. You went to Brown and were a presidential scholar and fell into a career in entertainment straight out of college. If anyone could afford to not take stuff too seriously, it's you. You failed to grasp that South Park never mocked people for trying to do the right things. They mocked people for being smug, virtue-signaling douchebags whose politics were intertwined with their own sense of superiority. They mocked earnest religious people and authoritarian conservatives, too. The truth is, you believe that your own leftist political views and instincts are so perfect and objectively true, so beyond reproach approach or critique that you can't stand to see them mocked to any degree. And he's right. You're just right. I mean, what the fuck? They're cartoons, man. Cartoons. South Park dogs 
everybody. But you get butthurt about that? Really? Really? My reply, which was long, not a Trumper, every form of entertainment, late night comedy, TV show, movie, Netflix, Twitter, Facebook, at all. Condescend, belittle, disregard, and condemn the South Christians and non-coastal people and conservatives. This is a petty argument. And it is. It's completely petty. But that's the left. You're petty people. If this is so bad, why are they allowing the Hunt Trumper movie to come back? Because it's back on. The Hunt, a film about elites hunting deplorable, gets new release date. If we're so worried about what is coming out of Hollywood, why would that be okay? Why? Because the inverse wouldn't. So, our last liberal shit anti-gun on CNN with Keth Kessler what's her name? Keller this fucking Stoneman Douglas protester is allowed just to say whatever the fuck he wants and nobody stops him Fred thank you so much for coming on to discuss this uh, important moment this important issue with us on this key week thank you okay so I want to walk through this moment with you because you were responding to uh, the president who was saying that the second amendment was under attack across the country. The thing you shouted was, what about victims of gun violence like my daughter? So will you just take nine words? Will you will you just take me through what you were feeling and why you yelled out? Yeah, you know, listen, earlier in the speech, He spent time talking about violence, but talking about violence against Americans by illegals, as he would say, and how the way to address violence is to do all this awful, nasty stuff. And all I could sit there thinking about was my daughter was killed by an American teen male. And so I was getting angry because he wasn't addressing actually the cause of all violence in this country. Later on in the speech, when he got to the part about the Second Amendment and he said, I will defend your Second Amendment rights, which are under attack and under siege all over this country. He's saying to his followers that people like me want to attack the Second Amendment. And that's just an absolute, brutal, disgusting, vicious lie. Under no circumstance and no place in this country is the Second Amendment under attack. And no legal lawful gun owner feels the sting of gun safety measures that are being proposed. In Florida, we passed gun safety three weeks after my daughter died. Not a single legal lawful gun owner spends a second thinking about that law because it has not impacted them. And so when he said he's going to defend the Second Amendment and the, with a lie, but not I'm going to defend your children, I'm going to defend your loved ones against gun violence, I, I got emotional and I lost it. And I try to go forward in this process of of fighting for gun safety and not letting my emotions get the best of me, they did that night. We ended our first block with misinformation, yet nobody talks about that. So, let's go to our lighter fare. It is a Packer-oriented one. A young girl came out of a surgery 
and I instantly want to adopt her. Aaron, what do you want to tell Aaron? I love him so much. Who? He's my best friend. Who is Aaron? Aaron fucking Rogers. Oh, you're not allowed to swear. <laughs> no, you always say that. <laughs> what would you say to Aaron about losing to the 49ers? It's okay. It's really hard being a Packers fan because we get so far in that. It just doesn't happen for us, but Aaron Rodgers is the man he always will be. And I love him. I want Aaron Rodgers to come, and my throat wouldn't hurt. Well, your throat would still hurt, honey. But then we can be best friends forever. She's best friends with Aaron Rodgers. I just want Aaron Rodgers. I honestly thought that I was waking up like him and that Aaron Rodgers was going to be right there for me, but he wasn't. Aaron Rodgers stinks. <laughs> no, I love him. I love Aaron Rodgers so much. And I love Aaron Jones. Thank God we Aaron have our... Jones? Who's Jones? Aaron Jones! Uh, you don't know who that is. Thank God we have a running game, so the pressure's a little relieved off of Aaron. Because he's so great. I just want... I can't... Okay, you need to not move. My throat hurts. It's gonna, honey. Aaron Rodgers, he would buy me 400 popsicles. Aaron would buy you 400 popsicles? I thought you were gonna be Aaron Rodgers. If I was Aaron Rodgers, I'd be really happy. I want Aaron Rodgers here. We'll call him. He's hanging out with Danica. That's super cool. Danica Patrick ended up, you know, she dates uh, fucking Rogers. We would like to buy you 400 popsicles, DM your address, and she sent a picture with the popsicles. And Aaron Jones, I hope you feel better. Don't worry, only the real ones know about me. I'll keep running that rock and let me know if you need some popsicles. <laughs> super, super cute. Which brings us to our This Is America. This might seem petty, but hear me out on the other side. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. 
you have a strong following and clearly we have a bunch yeah. of contests in the next 30 days but are you optimistic that after super tuesday that there will be some kind of coalescing um, so that we don't end up in one of those protracted bitter battles that go all the way to the convention how are you feeling about that right now you think that is a possibility sure talked about that in in uh, uh, in my speech tonight because I am concerned but you know Claire I tell you there's so many people who are in this fight for all the right reasons uh, you know me uh, did the speech and then afterwards did a selfie line and we were there for over an hour people are coming through and they're saying thank you and they're giving hugs and talking about what's important to them and young woman came up by herself and she said, uh, I'm a broke college student with a lot of student loan debt. And she said, I checked and I have $6 in the bank. So I just gave $3 to keep you in this fight. That's what we've got to do. We've got to stay in this fight with people who are counting on us. This isn't about fighting other Democrats. This is about fighting for the America we believe in. We've already raised $5 million since Iowa, and I am so grateful for your support. But I need to level with you. Our movement needs critical funds so I can remain competitive in this race through Super Tuesday. A third of delegates don't get decided until Super Tuesday. So what we do now matters more than ever. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, now's the time. And here's the thing. We saw an increase in first-time donors yesterday. So that means people are getting off the sidelines. We're setting an ambitious goal of raising $7 million before the Nevada caucuses next week. Now, this will make February our biggest fundraising month ever. But I believe this grassroots movement can do it. If this were another campaign, I'd be flying to Silicon Valley to raise money from deep-pocketed donors. Some candidates are probably doing that this week, but I'm relying on grassroots donors like you. So here's the deal. Go to ElizabethWarren.com and pitch in five bucks or ten bucks, whatever you can. And let's enter this next phase of the race in the best possible position to win. So here's the backstory if you didn't catch it. A young girl came up to me tonight and said, I'm a broke college student with a lot of student loan debt. I checked that. I have $6 in the bank. So I just gave three to keep you in the fight. We're staying in this fight for people who are counting on us. Now, do you think a conservative could take half of a, a young college student's money and not be called out for it? Anybody. Do you think that could fucking happen? Then, a third of the delegates aren't decided until Super Tuesday. What do we do now matters. Our campaign needs crucial funds. We need money. Give five more dollars. Reagan Battalion. $12 million. That's how much this lady's worth. Let us use her own money. Compare this to Yang campaign manager Zach Guman, who told outlets they couldn't, in good conscience, take people's hard-earned money when there was no plausible path for victory. So they dropped out. I mean, what the fuck? I just thought it was horrible. And it's not because she's a fake Indian and she's a liar and she's a woman. No. 
You have plenty of people out there that are big-time lib donors that can give you that money. You take it from the very people you say you're supposed to help. That's what you say. That's just fucking horrible. Just fucking horrible. So that's how we end our show, which I'm still over the three hours. I had a better one. The end of the nuclear family. So we're going to, our next podcast, we are going to close, open the show with this. This article is from David Brook, who used to be a normal person until he got in the age of Trump. Now he's stupid. It is a very long article. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read parts. But how he justifies, it's good that we don't have a nuclear family anymore. That's what they want. Because when you're disjointed and you don't have any base and you don't have any grounding or structure or support system, you're easily plucked off by stupid statements like, we're all going to die in 12 years. No, it's eight years. Eat the babies. Uh, you know, it's okay have babies. That just fucking happened in a month. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this family, friends, send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Pop podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. As stated, next podcast will be 19 February, year of our Lord 2020. Until then, if you're down south, stay warm. Oh, it's freaking chilly. Got the fire burning in here. Probably going to take a nap today because it ain't going to get above freezing which is rare for Tennessee. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices and tune in next Wednesday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, my friends, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. I'm the son.